Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Saturday uh, by my co-host Stacy. That's at Stacy Band Ninety Nine. Stacy, how you doing? Doing well. Um, think um, think I just we just watched, in my opinion, one of the best games of the playoffs, if not the best game of the playoffs. On both sides, I actually thought Boston played really well. Um, and yeah, I think the promise of this series going into it was um, was you know individual greatness of Steph against. Elite defense and and Boston's like grid and you know, making grinding out every possession, and I think last night lived up to it. So uh, yeah, like even this morning, it's uh, it's cool we got to see that. Yeah, um, I I agree. I thought it was an awesome game. Um, and also fuck Boston, of course. Yeah, also the fuck result Boston. was good. Uh, well, before we uh, talk about that even more, uh, I do have to make an announcement. This one is Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's six dollar tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. That I do with Prince. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag that Drew is hosting now every other week with rotating contributors. This week's episode was excellent. It also featured Jeffrey Rasmussen and Derek Reefer. Uh, you also get access to the Strickland Discord uh, for that six dollar tier uh, with a conversation about the Knicks and basketball never stops. $9 tier, you get access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I yell, rant, and rave about the mix even more. You also, and much more importantly, get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like live watch parties, discounts on merchandise. Uh, you could even potentially co-host the podcast alongside yours truly one day. If you choose to subscribe or not... <clears throat> Your support is appreciated. So, without further ado, uh, yeah, look, I, I think we, should, we could talk about the game first because that was an awesome game. I'm totally with you. Um, <clears throat> we're not having another game. I don't think. I think the next game is not until Monday. Um, so it's nice. We just got a whole weekend of enjoying Boston misery a little bit. Um, yeah, I didn't think Boston gave the game away or anything, and I, I kind of hate that narrative that seems to be popping up where it's like every time they lose like both times they've lost in the series it's like oh they're giving the game away and then when they win it's like oh my god golden state has no chance they can't win and like i've been pretty strong on boston will win this series um <clears throat> and actually i thought hollinger funny enough who um very rarely writes anything good and worthwhile uh did write an interesting piece uh yesterday about how Boston teams like Boston. And we've talked about this too, where it's like, you know, wherever you want to rank Jason Tatum, he's not an MVP caliber player right now. He obviously has like stretches and games where he achieves that level, but he's not consistently there. And um, it's okay because 
they have so much depth and they have so much quality up and down the lineup and rotation that even without that top, top end guy, they still have enough to potentially win a championship. And he compared them favorably to the Suns last year, who were a similar concept, right? Where it's like Devin Booker and Jason Tatum are, they're like at that level where they can probably be the best Barna title team, but they are not a Luka Doncic level or a Steph Curry level as we're seeing in this finals. And I think like that's really my main takeaway is <clears throat> as good as Boston is, and they are really fucking good, and as good as Phoenix was last year, and I thought they were really fucking good last year, when you have the best player in a series, you always have a chance. You always have a chance because that guy can take over games and change it and make it his own. And I thought Steph's game yesterday was, I mean, I, I thought it was a masterpiece. I think it was arguably his best. I, I don't even, actually, I'm not even going to say it's arguable. I think that was his best playoff performance, high stakes game, whatever you want to call it. Ever. I mean, he had, he had 47 in that one against Toronto. They lost, That game was so weird, though, because it was like Clay was out. And, it, I, I, he, and he played great. For sure. But it was like the Raptors always kind of had them at a distance. So it was kind of like, uh, it's like putting up a 400 yard passing game and three touchdowns. You're down, touch, but you're down a touchdown or two all game, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was weird. Like, but this was. But I also think the fact that he did it without Clay. Yeah, yeah. But he, I mean, he basically did it without Clay and Draymond yesterday. I mean, Draymond, he's just playing at an absolutely pathetic level right now. Um, did you see his mom? Did you see his mom roasted him? Yeah. <laughs> she is like an Indian mom, basically. I don't um, know what my beta is doing. <laughs> um, look at look at Grant Williams, right? Grant Williams is a doctor, and you're you're passing up open eighters. Um, no, I think um, and Clay. I mean, until the fourth, Clay was very unimpressive. So in um, Poole had some decent stretches, but it really was Steph against. And I mean, I'll ask you this also, kind of on the same note as that Hollinger article, the the quintessential team that won without a star uh, is everyone brings up the Detroit Pistons from two thousand four, right? I, I kind of hate that, by the way, just because like, I mean, I get it; they didn't have an offensive superstar, but Ben Wallace was absolutely a star, like one hundred percent was a star to me. I also think when you talk about being able to carry offenses for stretches or cause mismatches, um, he just never had the stats or the consistency probably to, to be considered a true superstar or that kind of level. But Rashid Wallace, just his mm. talent. I, I mean, I mentioned him, you know, some, in some way. Right? I remember, like, at that time, right? Because that was, like, kind of the golden age of power forwards, right? You had Duncan, you had KG, you had Dirk. You didn't have Julius Randle yet, though. No, you didn't have Julius yet. More importantly, Obi Toppin. Yeah, which we are going to talk about, by the way. Um, But, like, Rashid was always that guy where you were like, you have as much talent as any of these dudes, but you're insane. (laughs) Like, But even then, like, yeah, like, he, he was a notch below them. He was a little ahead of his time, too. I think I would put it like that, because... Power forwards are still a little bit more interior oriented. Um, like he would be, a, like he because he, but he was, you know, he was one of the first guys that was really switchable and used that way. Uh, he could obviously stretch the floor, uh, and his numbers are pretty solid for his career. Are they? Uh, I've actually, I've actually never looked. 
Yeah, so I mean, his five-year peak, you know, was basically 19 points a game from like 2000 to 2005 or 2004. Um, 16 to 19 points a game. Um, you know, he, his scoring went down in Detroit, but like he had that level of talent, right? Where And he's also, because he could play the five or the four, it allowed them to do more interesting things on offense. Right? So. I also love that he retired for two years and then Mike Woodson got him to unretire. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, do you want to just play basketball again? Okay, sure. You want to play? <laughs> <laughs> you wanna play some? Um, that was. I mean, I will say that those teams were probably peak vibes. Um, yeah. But I mean, is so. But that 2004 defense was one of the best defenses I've seen. How good, historically speaking, or at least from what you've seen of the NBA, is this Boston defense? It's it's definitely up there. Um, I I don't think they have like it's so it's weird. I think they're a better defense than Milwaukee was last year. But like Giannis is capable of shit that I just don't think anybody which is not like is anybody in the NBA capable of shit that Giannis does? Probably not. Um and like Boston doesn't have anybody like that, even though I think Robert Williams is a freak. I think Jason Tatum is an awesome on-ball defender. He had a couple of great possessions on Steph yesterday. Um, and, you know, I think Jalen Brown, he, he's like their worst defender. And it's mostly just because he gets lost off the ball. But on the ball, he's a really good defender, right? Like, he's not a guy that you can just go hey, at. Athletic, long, strong, obviously. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Mark is smart. I mean, they at three levels, they have close to elite defense, right? You have Robert Williams... You have Jason Tatum, and then you have maybe the best, one of the best point of attack defenders in the league. Uh, sorry, Omar, it's not Davion Mitchell. Um, it's pro- Marcus Smart, probably a little bit better at him there. Uh, then Derek Mark- White's a good point of attack defender, also. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, and and Derek White is a really good defender. So even if you whatever Brown's shortcomings are, they're literally surrounding him with peak talent. You know, it's it's not even a team where you could say. They have lots of good wings, but they make up for, you know, starting someone like Dame at point of attack or something, right? Like, no, they, they – and then it's not even a case where, like, they have great point of attack defenders with no rim protection. Um, and and because they've had so much for that, even when Williams was hurt, um, you know, they were – Tice was able to hold up fine. Horford holds up fine. So, um, yeah, I think I think Tice is actually, like – like, for, he's their third big, essentially. It's a really good third big to have. You know, like – He's really solid defensively. The other thing, too, is, like, he has familiarity with their players. Um, And, like, I I think, like, that's – I mean, this team, I know that Tice and Horford have come back in kind of roundabout ways. But, like, these are guys that have played – like, between Smart – you think about it, right? Smart, Jalen, Tatum, Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Tice. That's seven of their – seven guys. Those those two dudes have played together for like a long time. Like they know each other's games, their tendencies, their strengths, their weaknesses really, really well. And I know Tice isn't, you know, he's not playing a bunch in this series. Do they know um, who each other is at the elbow. I, I you know, I I say this. I know you're asking that jokingly. I I think one of Tatum's problems is he doesn't know who he is at the elbow. He doesn't like. I'm like really disappointed in. How He's actually that, one of um, one of elbow guy's favorite players too. Yeah, he is. No, and, and I get why, but like, I mean, his mid range is 
what is his mid-range game? Like, to me, that's a really disappointing it's element of this. That's his go-to in the mid-range. Yeah, and it's just like, it, to me, that's like, that's not yeah, leveraging. Yeah. No, I, it's like, it's just... No, no, I'm serious. Like, what would you add? Yeah. I mean, I just think that he, everything is a fadeaway. But it's like, dude, you're fucking 6'10". You're jacked. Like, look at who Golden State is defending, like, putting on him. Wiggins should, is pretty strong. Wiggins is pretty strong, but, like, Tatum is bigger. And Tatum isn't, like, he's not, it's not so much, it's not so much getting to the fadeaway. It's like, he's not getting to a spot and then taking a fadeaway. He's, like, kind of being guided and goes where he can. Like, to me, there's a difference between watching a Jordan fadeaway or a Kobe fadeaway because they are getting to where, exactly where they want, and then they're taking that shot. I'm watching Tatum take these shots, and it's like, it doesn't look to me like a guy who's getting to his spot and taking it. It looks like a guy who is getting to where he can and then taking the shot. And I think there's a difference between those things. And, like, I don't know, his two-point percentage in this series is atrocious. I think he's shooting, like, over 40% for the series from three, but 35% from the field. Um, it's like, dude, if you're putting up Alec Burke splits, uh, <laughs> that's not good. Um, and I just, I don't know, like, I, I, maybe I'm, I, I'm probably being a little overdramatic and critical by saying I'm really disappointed, but, like, I expect a lot more from him in terms of, like, like, this is a matchup where, look, let's put it this way. Luca is built, he's a strong 6'7", obviously a better ball handler and all that kind of stuff than Tatum, right? But part of the issue that Golden State had defending him in that series, obviously they won the series quite easily, but, like, just in terms of defending him, part of the issue is, like, they just didn't have anybody that could match his strength and shiftiness. And I understand Tatum isn't going to have the same shifty handle type stuff that Luca does, but the fact he's not really able to leverage his strength, and this is not just against Golden State, right? Like over his career, one of the main issues Tatum has had is not getting to the rim enough, not getting to the line enough. Um, and I think, like you know, it's interesting because one of the issues, and this was, you know, what Milwaukee did last year in that series in the finals was they effectively were like, we are going to defend Devin Booker one-on-one, and we are going to live with that. And if he beats us and he puts up high-scoring games, so be it. But we are not going to help off of the other guys. We're not going to send a lot of help. We're not going to blitz him or or tons of stuff like that. We're just going to see what happens. And Booker scored a lot. He scored a lot. He was awesome in that series, I thought. But he wasn't good enough to get them over the line against Giannis. And... If this series boils down to is Tatum good enough to not offset because Steph is, you know, he's <laughs> he's Steph, he's one of one. Um, but like, if he can't somewhat match that, uh, you know, I don't know. I just think we're now entering that point in the series that it's very much a coin toss. But to go back to your question about uh, what is Boston historically defensively like? I mean, they're. They're as good as any of the elite defenses that we can think of, you know. Like they have shut down, they they locked up KD in first round. They gave Giannis hell in the second round. They, I mean, I know that series went seven in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Jimmy Butler was awesome. So like they didn't really shut down Jimmy Butler, but they shut down Miami's collective offense for long stretches of that series. Um, they should have won that in five or six games, probably, but. You know, whatever. But this this is as good a defense as you're going to find. It stacks up with any 
any defense I think you can name. You know, I think it stacks up against the Heatles. I think it stacks up against Prime Golden State. I think it stacks up against some of the best Spurs defenses you could put out there. I think it, sta- I th- it stacks up against anybody. I think they're they are that good on defense. Yeah, and it's um, I mean, there's some defenses that are transformed by like a singular talent, right? Like an elite rim protector, um, like those Spurs defenses. Um, it's almost like if you compare that Giants yeah. defense, Tiago Splitter, right? That's who you're thinking about. <laughs> That's exactly. What I'm thinking about. <laughs> um, actually. Yeah, uh, Duncan is a guy that's come up a lot because there's all these debates about Steph being top ten. That's that's his his legacy has been debated a lot. Um, but um, it's almost like you compare the Giants' defense, which their secondary was nothing. I'm talking about when they won the Super Bowl and they beat Brady. Oh, it's just their, a defensive line. Yeah, like they didn't. They had. They weren't. But yeah, they had at the marquee position. I would. I would argue that yeah, in the modern NFL, pass rush is the most important part of your team. Um, that that's where they were stacked. Where well, defense. Stacked. I'm assuming you mean. Yeah, defense. Sorry. Um, I mean, I, I know, I know, Jalen Hurts has a lot of question marks, but you know, I wanna... <laughs> <laughs> well, he's uh, he's getting good reviews in practice. So let's see. And he he certainly has. Uh, he doesn't have as many excuses. He dropped him in fantasy, though. Yeah, I mean, he'll put fantasy up there. Like the yeah. question is, will will he be able to next year uh, play well in the playoffs? Does he know who he is at the elbow? That's the real question. <laughs> uh, can he make get through his reads uh, and not meet Devontae Smith? Uh, seriously, though, I, I'm rooting for the guy. He's one of the easiest people uh, to root for, and one of the, the kind of like uh, just you know similar to quickly and RJ. Just uh, you know, those uh, great great people. Like he, he yeah, yeah. Uh, point is, you know, there are some defenses. The Spurs may have been kind of like those those Giants defenses where. They're able to build around singular talent that skews things and is able to cover up some of their weaknesses. Um, and then on the other hand, um, you have a team like the Seahawks, which had stars at all three levels, right? You had the Legion of Boom. Uh, they had a pretty uh, devastating pass rush. They had great, you know, they had Bobby Wagner. They had great uh, linebackers, too. The Celtics are a little bit more like that. Um, so even though they don't, I mean, there have been better rim protectors than Robert Williams, right? Just like there have been better pass rushes than that Seahawks pass rush, but they were that great. Um, you know, they had they have they at all three levels really. Boston is just hell, and they play they play their ass off in every possession. I mean, yesterday people that's the thing. I think we were talking about this in the Discord. The idea that Boston somehow choked yesterday, like Steph wasn't just getting wiking into wide open threes. Uh, like he hit a bunch of really tough contested shots. Um, and, um, or, or off movement or, you know, in, in tight spaces where Boston, you know, I think, um, a few people have written about why, you know, Boston has chosen to play drop. I think Keith Smith had a couple of good, Keith Smith, not Keith Smith, had a couple of good tweets about it yesterday. How, you know, they would almost, if it's between Steph being able to get a catch and shoot three versus, um, a pull up, they'll almost live with the pull up. And see, I think like it's small sample, but he's four for seven on catch and shoot and 14 for 30 on pull up threes, which by the way, 14 for 30 is <laughs> insane. But it's like he's that ridiculous of a player where that, that, that math works out for them. And I just got to say, man, I think Steph is, I hope they win this series because one, fuck Boston, obviously. But like, I, I think, I don't want to say a legacy defining series because like to me, Steph's legacy is already one of the top 
15, 12 greatest players of all time, the best shooter of all time, a player who revolutionized the game, obviously changed the game. Um, he is like kind of a line of demarcation of eras. You know what I mean? Like it's like there is the Heatles and then there is Golden State. And this is probably just about the end of this Golden State run. I think, yes, they have these young guys and maybe they can help bridge the gap. But like this feels a lot to me like 98 Jordan, like where it's like this, it, it's like this. Yeah, this, it, I mean, Steph's not retiring or anything like that, but like he's not what he was in. And this is amazing to say, cause he's still fucking amazing, but he's not what he was in like 2015, 2016, right? Like he's not at that level anymore, but he's still good enough to be the best player on a title team. I think he is the sole reason. I don't not sole reason, but he is the overwhelming reason they are even in title contention. He is the overwhelming reason the series is not three one or a fucking sweep. He is what is holding this team together. And like, you know, to go back to it, that performance yesterday is that is one of the all time clutch whatever you want to say to define it, but like that was a if they win this series, we will talk about Steph Curry game four at Boston. You know what I mean? Like that, it's like we talk about Jordan flu game, right? Like like we talk about Yeah, or like Giannis 50-point closeout game and stuff like that. Like that, this will be a game like that. Because that was like I, they had to have that game. Had to have that game. If they don't have that game, even if they win. Game five, they have to go back to Boston for another for an elimination game, which is crazy. You don't want to do that. It was it was an all time performance, and and to, let's be real, like you look at the box score here, right? He had forty three. This is what the starting front court for the Warriors put up yesterday: four points on one of nine shooting in a collective forty eight minutes. No, no, Looney didn't start yesterday. That's right. So yeah. Porter and Draymond. Yeah. They had four points, two starters. Looney had six, Gary Payton Jr. had five. Poole, finally, I thought had a really good game yesterday. Not really good, but very solid. He was a very solid performer yesterday. Clay's numbers look better than he was, <laughs> for sure. Uh, Wiggins was solid, but I think his contributions were more on the glass than anything else. And defensively, he did a really good job at Tatum. Uh, but, like, you're talking about you're going against, as we talked about, a defense that stacks up with some of the best defenses we've seen over the last few decades. And he put up 43 on those guys. And to your point, like he's making them just like give up an awesome shot for him to try and take away from everything else, which is like an insane trade-off. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like he's, I want him to win this series. I want Golden City to win this series. I think if he wins this, if they win this series, like to me, that comfortably puts Steph in the top 10 all time. I think, I'll just say this, I think if you want to argue that Magic Johnson, breadth of his career is better than Steph, I think that's fair. Uh, I would take Steph peak over Magic Johnson peak. I think... Yeah, but, I mean, these aren't usually, like, if we're talking peak, I'm taking Shaq. Over. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm just talking about point guards, right? Like, not talking about anything else. And I, got, I also think this, like, I think Steph's defense is super underrated. Um, I thought he did a really good job yesterday. Yes, they're targeting him. Yes, they can take advantage of him at times. But 
like you know we talk about we talk about Jalen Brown right if he's the worst defender you have awesome like if Steph Curry is your worst defender you're a really fucking good defense that, that is the reality of Steph Curry that has been the reality throughout his career when people have for whatever reason determined that he is a negative defender I entirely reject that you think he can be more than a, a fourth guard on a good playoff team <laughs> I like Steph in his role, um, but no, like I just, I just have always thought that it was a ridiculous notion. Like he's played on too many elite defenses now for that to be the case. Like and it's, he, it's too many. We've talked about another player who has now played on two defenses that finished top twelve, including one elite defense. Um, like how? I mean, because I think um, we were talking with with Steph even, you know, in the DMs about quickly and how slight defenders who slight players in the playoffs can get targeted. This is a Knicks pod. I mean, I'm not comparing quickly to Steph, but um, you know, it shows Yeah, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to compare it quickly to you know I'm not lesser, I'm not our editor and uh, chief. So a lesser so, version of, of Steph. You know? <laughs> um but um you know I, I think that it shows that yeah if you I think length I mean he obviously is a little bit more toolsy in that regard than than a guy like Steph. But when you have length, you have your smart player, and you have that effort. Uh, and he's strong. He's bulked up now, Steph. Steph has added a lot of muscle since he came yeah, to the league. I think there was an article where he can deadlift like over four hundred pounds. Which I know we have certain listeners. Shout out Omar, who are going to be <laughs> like, "That's nothing." But uh, you know, considering you know he hasn't been thought of as like a as a massive dude, like it's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I just I just think like. I actually saw an interesting thread where it was it was talking about how like every time people are like, well, when people tell you they take Kevin Durant over Steph, the argument almost always, and this is actually really funny because it's true. I was thinking about it. The argument always, always just goes back to Kevin Durant is bigger and not about anything else. It's not about like, what does he actually do better than Steph? And like other than mid-range scoring, I really don't think he does anything better than Steph. He's not a better passer. He's not a better ball handler. He's not a better pull-up shooter. He's not a better spot-up shooter. He's not a better distance shooter. It would be a hell of a shooting contest, by the way. Like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be awesome. Durant is, deserves to be in that conversation. For sure. And I, I just think, like, and that's the other part. I just want them to win this series so bad because I'm so sick and tired of hearing about how Kevin Durant was the best player on those teams and he's better than Steph. And it's like none of that has ever made sense to me. It's like you like Steph gets punished for having this incredible, insane ability to adjust his usage depending on who he plays with, right? So if he plays with the Kevin Durant, he can still be as effective as as he is playing in this team right now because he's capable of shifting his play to being more of an off ball guy and letting Kevin Durant do his thing. You know, like that is such an insane ability, and it is. It is, to me, the unique ability about Steph. That is, like, what makes him one of one. It is what makes him one of, like, it, it is, it's why, like, there there won't be another, you know, we talked, like, for, when Jordan retired, right, there was always a search for, like, the next Jordan, right? And, like, I know people will be like, well, Kobe was, Kobe was close, but he, he was not Jordan. And, like, when you come to, when it comes to Steph, and that's not a knock on Kobe, by the way, who I think is a top ten player of all time. Uh, but like, so would you people, put Kobe over Steph? Yeah, I would. I, I would right now. Um, I just think Kobe over Magic. I guess by 10. yeah, I, I I would not put Kobe over Magic, but like, 
I would I, like if Steph wins. If they won this, I still wouldn't put Steph over Magic. I just would understand the logic, and I actually also think like Magic Johnson's might be a player that is slightly overrated historically by like by consensus because I feel like when people do lists, they always put Magic at two or three or like three usually. I usually right? put him at five. But... Yeah, I think I have. Wait, so it's Jordan, LeBron, Hakeem. And then I usually put magic. After, but I, after I saw Norm Nixon torch him at a, at a pool party, <laughs> that, that affected me. Yeah, I just, I just think like there's a lot more variability. I guess is probably the best way to put it in those rankings than you see most of the time, right? Like there's, there's more. There should be more flux in that really, top ten yeah. group, yeah, than than there is. But um, yeah, like I just think, I, I like that that ability Steph has is there won't be another Steph Curry. You know, like we can keep looking for like the next step or the next, and you know, I, I think this is like a disservice to Dane, right? People always talk about him in comparison to Steph, and it's like, dude, don't do that because Steph is just a freak, and yeah, he doesn't look—he's not a freak in the same way that Jordan was a freak or LeBron or Giannis or these dudes. He is a freak because he is just—he plays the game in a way that it has not been played before him, and. It, it, guys that come after him have not been able to replicate, and that's not a knock on anybody. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but even like, like we joke about that, but like the relocation stuff with stuff is insane. I honestly have never seen a player remotely come close to that ability that he has. And and like most of the guys who I would think about with that, maybe like a guy like Redick or or Clay, um, don't have the combination of the on ball game too, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, that I don't think Steph gets enough credit for is, like, yeah, okay, the, take out the Durant years because those are just crazy. How many number two options on title teams, title contenders, and we can say Clay has been the number two option, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. How many t- number two options on title contenders or title teams have as limited on-ball creation and ball handling as Clay Thompson? Yeah, and th- I saw someone making the case yesterday that Steph's had help. He's never had to win a series by himself. <laughs> First of all, that, as, that as nobody that know, was a joke. Every, everybody knows that, um, you know, famously, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, all these guys, they won championships by themselves. Yeah, I mean, are we going to – are we going to – and uh, the person was like – well, someone was like, well, Steph didn't have anyone on that 15 team who could create their own shot. And he was like, Clay couldn't create his own shot? It's like, No. It can not at that level, um, and then if we're if we're talking about that with respect to Kobe and LeBron and, and Jordan, um, LeBron has never won a championship without one of Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, uh, Dwayne Wade, or, or I mean, I would argue Chris Bosh was a better shot yes. creator than yeah. anyone Steph has played with besides KD. Um, certainly anyone on those those Warriors teams. Um, I mean, look, we're at a point where people are calling, like, like, and I know you love Jordan Poole, but, like, if we're saying that Steph has had to help, like, too much, like, his teams have been so stacked, and we're using Jordan Poole as an example for that, it's like, like, what are we doing here? Is Jordan Poole a fucking Hall of Famer now? Like, that's you know? Pippen, right? <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's just crazy to Closer to, to Tony Kukoc than he is to Scottie Pippen, so. Yeah, and Kukoc was a hell of a player, but it's like, we know what Kukoc was, right? He was yeah. not a star. He was a really good starting player who was also a sixth man at times. Like, that's awesome. That's a great player to have. 
but it's not a great player. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. And I just think, like, Steph gets punished in the stupidest ways. You know, if you took Steph off those 15 and 16 teams, the one that won the championship and then won 73-9 lose to... playoffs? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I, I don't know. And I, I just think that... The playoff, they probably... They, they make, make the playoffs. Seed, yeah, they, they, they make the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, they, they make the playoffs. You know, Steph is Steph and Draymond together basically like would break basketball during that time. That, so. that is that is I think a fair point that Draymond has helped Steph's context on both ends, but right now that's not really the case. Um, in terms of, so I think that a lot of the stuff you mentioned is very interesting to talk about. Um, I'll start with the stuff about like it's almost like people. It, you know, it's what do you value, right? So when the KD Steph thing comes up, people are like, you know, someone said, you know, overall, I think Steph's the better player, but if I need a bucket at the end of a game, I'm going to KD. First of all, do you disagree with that or? Uh, yeah, I think I would. I think, I think Kevin Durant, I, I, I've said this many times, I think he's one of the most historically overrated players, which isn't to say he's not a historically great player. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's probably somewhere in like the top 20, top 15, if you want to push it. But like he has entered conversations that he has not earned the right to be in. I'm sorry, like going, running to Golden State to tag along with an already dominant team doesn't elevate you in my mind. Um, but, um, but I mean, I think like the reason why people would say, you know, there's that's where the size does come in, right? I mean, because cause Steph is 6'3", and so if you have a play where he needs a three and Kevin Love is on an island with him, he can disrupt him with that size. We saw that happen. So, so but like, okay, so, so my counter to that would be this. We have seen Chris Paul give Kevin Durant nightmares in the playoffs. We've seen smaller guys give Kevin Durant problems in the playoffs. So I think like the size part of it is it's, it's just very situational. Like, like I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. If you, if, if there's like five seconds left on the clock, right? And, you can either throw it the, – the place you're throwing it to is behind the arc. I want Steph. If you have to throw it to somebody with their back to the basket and on the low, on the block or in the mid-range, I want to give it to Kevin Durant. Like, that's that – I want it with Nala. <laughs> but, like, but, like, that is actually a reason, and I've said this before, and I, I know a lot of people disagree with this, and they have valid reason to disagree with it. Like, that to me is why Kyrie, when he is really going, when he's at his top level – to me, he is like such an amazing scorer because he's a guard. He's a, what? He's the same size as Steph, right? So a six three guard, but like he's a guard who really has the complete scoring package. Like he has post game, you know, like he has an entire array of shots he can get to in the mid range. And what I've said is like if if you are have you know three, four, or five seconds left on the clock and you just need to get a shot up, like Kyrie might be the guy. I think. Other than Kawhi, when he's healthy, that I would just be like, I know that if I give him the ball, he's going to get me a shot up. He's going to get a good shot up in any situation wherever he gets the ball on the floor. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think, but I think with KD, because of his isolation bag, because of the size, um, and because while he is not as good a shooter as Steph, mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, he is. He's still scared. fucking good. <laughs> Probably still a top five or 10 shooter all time at 17. Do you think. KD or um, KD or Grimes, <laughs> to be determined. Um, but um, but it's also like it depends on people. Often think that there is one skill set on both sides of this debate, right? You have one group of people that says 
The most important thing is, can I get you, give you the ball? And can you go get a bucket? And can you, and on defense, can you lock up one on one? And there's other people who think of it more in a team context and say, you know, how much do you make your teammates better? And that's a very nebulous concept too, by the way, right? There are players who average 10 assists a game by playing very heliocentric offense. And, um, you know, and it, are they making their teammates better? There are, there are th- those who like Steph only might average six or seven assists a game, but because of the movement, because of the, the gravity, uh, they're going to show up a lot better in those kind of impact stats. I think the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And I think this kind of informs a lot of those, the next X person conversations, right? So if you grew up in the 90s, they were dominated by a player who was probably the best isolation scorer of all time, probably the best athlete uh, in NBA history, certainly up there, um, who could, I mean, he would have scored, I don't have any issues saying he would have scored from three-point range, but he didn't need to. He was very efficient. Um, but, he, but the thing is, he could also play as part of the triangle, right? He also knew how to play in motion-oriented offenses, right? He was just so damn good at what he did that you, um, you know, you wanted to just give him the ball and get out of the way. Uh, but then in the, but if you lived in the years after that, there were two post players who dominated the next five to 10 years, right? With Detroit coming in there in the middle. Um, and I think that's, that is something that actually bugs me because as good as the second option on those Laker teams was, he was the second option and the team, the player that gave everyone nightmares was Shaq. Um, and, and, and Steph was the, I mean, Kobe, Steph, not Clay, Kobe was the perfect complement at that time. And he got even better later on. And of course, on those Gasol teams, he was the better, he was the best player. I'm not debating that. But now you have, it's dominated by a post player. Then, then you go to the Heatles era where it's dominated not quite by the next MJ, but by some kind of hybrid of the player who dominated the 80s and the player who dominated the 90s, right? Um, in, in LeBron. And then you had the Steph era, right? So, but the thing is, every time this has happened, people feel like this is the mold of player that we need next. And the reality is there's a couple of things. One, there's no, there's no perfect way to build a star. There's, you know, there's, there's multiple strengths. You can be an elite shooter who moves really well, who understands the game at a high level and can, and also has the ball handling ability to play on ball. You can be a freak athletic scorer in the mold of Michael Jordan. But the thing with all of these guys we mentioned is that I think they could do all of these things well. Um, Michael Jordan was a singular scorer, but he could also play in the triangle. He was a good passer. Um, Shaq is an extremely underrated passer uh, and during the playoffs could defend. Uh, LeBron could play in isolation style. LeBron could score at three levels. LeBron can also play in motion-oriented style. And Steph, what gets really underrated is because he's so good off ball, people don't realize that he's capable on ball and he's running. I mean how, how many guys in the league have a better handle than Steph is it like Kyrie and that's it um CP3 probably do you think so I feel like CP3 has a really I don't know I don't even know how to word this he is a very he has like the best Republican handle possible <laughs> Martin handle <laughs> it's a really good January 6th handle yeah um Make uh, make America CP3 again. <laughs> but it's like, you know what I mean? Like, Steph has that, that kind of showman aspect to his handle, whereas CP is, like, very... It's, like, very much textbook. This is how I get to my spot. And so if you, like... I mean, if you're just talking about functionality, yeah, I think CP is probably higher yeah, than Steph. There's some, there's some... There is some creativity to his handle. Um, Steph is more, like... You know, there's a lot of, like, 
fakes and hesitations and all of that. I will say, yeah. So I think Paul's is functional, but like the shit he can do with the ball, like when he decides to let loose, like he's up there for sure. Um, but the point is, I think like we get into stuck in this mindset of like either it's all like this game is all about buckets, right? That's that Bill Russell quote. Sure, but there's multiple ways to get that. Um, or it's no, like do you notorious make- offensive superstar Bill Russell. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not going to question what Bill Russell says about no, the game, no, no. but there's multiple ways to create that. Or do you make your teammates better? That doesn't necessarily mean averaging 12 assists a game. That could that could mean drawing so much attention and moving without the ball and moving to places that accentuate and make things easier for your teammates, right? Um, and so we tend to think that things are much more cut and dry. And I think that goes exactly to your point about, um, you know, the, the top list should be more fluid because the reality is when you're talking about those top 10, 12 players, they were all great at all of these things. They just biased a little bit more towards one or two of them the other. Uh, and that's fine, but that's not necessarily an argument that one or two of those are that much more important when people are doing all of them at such a high level. But I tweeted this yesterday. So since you did mention the top 10 thing, um, you basically have to take so Alan Hahn said this, right? That Steph Curry is a top 10 player all time. So here's, so this these are names I came up with. Uh, there's a couple of guys that others might want to include. KD is one you mentioned. There's maybe Jerry West. But the, the I think I mentioned 12 guys. So MJ, LeBron, Kareem, <coughs> excuse me, Russell, Magic, Bird, Wilt, your guy, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Shaq, Duncan, Kobe, and Oscar. You got to take three of those guys out. Yeah, I'm taking Oscar out. I'm taking Oscar. Wilt out, and I'm taking uh, what was the other one? What was what were the other? So you said Kareem. Yeah, Kareem. Yeah, take Kareem out. It's fine. Um, and you already said you would probably take Magic out, um, or you wouldn't have him over Steph. But no, I know I said I would put Magic over Steph, but like I think if Steph can play at this level for another couple of years. I might have to revisit that. I don't know. I, I have to go back and like actually do my top 10 again, but I'm much lower on Kareem than consensus. I'm much lower on Wilton consensus. I'm much lower. I don't, I don't, to me, Oscar Robertson, like that's not even, I don't even consider him when I would do top 10 lists. Yeah. And he didn't have the accolade. I mean, I don't think he ever won a title as the best player on the team. Um, Oscar and Duncan are probably the two I would take out. I don't agree on Wilt. Um, I have Duncan over Will easily, like easily. Not even. It's not. I don't even. I Will to me as a player, I only consider because of like historical fucking significance and all these. Like to me, I know this is like people never agree with this, but like I, there's levels to winning, and it'll be like, well, why do you have Hakeem so high if you don't have Will so high? They both won the same amount of championships, but like Will played in an era there were not as many teams. If he was as sorry, was it? Each team was more stacked as a result. So Boston was more stacked. They were more stacked, but he also blew series that he shouldn't have blown. You know, like the seventy. I think it's the sixty-nine championship that Boston won. I think that was Russell's last championship. Lakers are a heavy favorite in that series. They have Wilt. They have Jerry West, who was basically in his prime at that time. That was not a series Boston was supposed to win. Down the stretch of Game Seven, he literally got benched because his coach was like, like he was. Is there's it's a whole backstory, but it basically got benched, right? This is an all-time great player we're talking about getting benched in Game Seven of the NBA Finals down the stretch of a close game, and 
you can go through World's career and you'll always find stuff like this where, you know, for whatever reason, yeah, he put up great numbers, but his teams just didn't win as much as people thought they should have won. And does that make him – that doesn't make him, like, obviously he's a great, great player. But, like, to me, there have been enough players in NBA history that have great individual numbers and success, and that translated to great team success, and they maximized their teams. Like, Hakeem Olajuwon didn't win any more than Wilt won, but he absolutely maximized the most out of those teams that he had. Like, his entire team had a fucking coke addiction and basically was out of, like, the, the, they make the finals in 86, okay? That's with Hakeem, Samson. They have a really stacked team. They make the finals. They're babies. They destroyed the Lakers in five games, the Western Conference Finals. They take the Celtics. The 86 Celtics are considered one of the greatest teams of all time. I think before the KD Warriors team, it was basically considered either the uh, 96 Bulls or the 86 Celtics. Were, those are the two teams people talk about as the greatest teams of all time. They took that team six games. Okay, Within a year, basically, Samson has crippling injuries. He's never the same player. Like two or three guys on the team get literally like removed from the league because they tested positive for cocaine. And if you go through the rest of that decade up until so the end of the eighties, early nineties, till when he starts winning championships, like in ninety four, ninety five, if you look at those teams, like it's just fucking Hakeem carrying teams. There's a insane game seven. Uh, I'll try to pull this up, but like to me, like a guy like Will. Absolutely, and people can disagree with this if they want to go through the history of it, but like from what I've gone through and looked at and read, he's not a guy that maximized his his team's potential throughout his career. And I think there are guys, like a guy like Duncan absolutely got the fucking best out of his team for his career. I think a guy like Kobe got the absolute most out of his teams for his career. And, you know, like, I just, I cannot put guys like Wilt and Robertson over them. I I know. Well, I I'll, don't think Wilt and Robertson are in the same conversation. I mean, one score, yeah, he, he averaged 15 and 25 for a season. He's got some of the most absurd numbers, even for that era. Um, possible, like, it, and we're not, it, it's not this, this is not like, oh, James Harden is, is an elite statistical player or something. This is just, Oh, yeah. so, stuff, right? This is so. this is this is the game I was talking about. This is 1987 Western Conference semifinals game six. This is an elimination game. It goes double overtime. Okay, <laughs> the Rockets. This is Wilt or Hakeem. This is his box score. Okay, 49 points, 25 rebounds, six blocks, two steals, two assists. This is in. 53 minutes, okay? The next leading scorer, the, they scored 125 points in double overtime, by the way. The next leading scorer is somebody named Robert Reed, who went 8 of 25 for 18 points. The next leading scorer, sorry, that was the third leading scorer. The second leading scorer is Ralph Sampson, who by this time is a very diminished version of himself. He has 19 points on 22 Yeah, right? No, but Sampson just had a, he had a leg issues. Uh, but yeah, Samson has 19 points on 22 shots. Something called Steve Harris off the bench has goes 2 of 12 for 8 points. Like, this is 
like every time, I, you know, because people always love the like no help argument for dudes. Like this is what no help looks like. That is about what, Kenny Smith. Kenny, Kenny Smith. Uh, he was on the. He was still. He wasn't a. He was a rookie, I think, when they won the championship in '94. So he wasn't in the league yet. Like this team was, you know, and and they basically just stay in. Like Hakeem's career, in a lot of ways, is very similar to Dirk's career, where like because of weird circumstances throughout much of their prime, the team isn't competitive. And then, like, finally, they kind of managed to put some shit together, and boom, championship. Um, but, like, yeah, I, to me, Hakeem is, you know, he is, to me, the best big man ever. Um, I think he is, his resume stacks up against anybody. I think you can argue his peak his peak is as good as anybody's. I think his peak is as good as peak Jordan. I think his peak is as good as peak Shaq. Um, he is, uh, he was a dominant, dominant player who was on some really bad teams, quite frankly. Um, like again, this was, have you ever heard of Robert Reed before? Have you ever heard of like Alan Lavelle? You know what I mean? Like he did not play with guys that yeah, anybody cares that. about or remembers. I'm yeah. not sure I'm convinced about Curry over Wilt. I think I I, I can see the case for Keem over Wilt. I'm not I, – I don't think I can take Wilt out of the top ten. Call it historical significance. Call it, um, you know, call it whatever. Um, like, it's insane what he was able to do and the level of dominance he achieved for a decade. Um, yes, he was an imperfect player. I think it's fair to say he didn't get as much maybe out of his team. Um, there's also a different time period. Um, they weren't, they didn't get paid the way they do right now. I, you know, he was a star. He had other priorities and yeah, there was a lot of other things where I, I understand a player who, who wouldn't want to break their back or, or do certain things, maybe the way that a guy like Kobe did four so years later. But. I just, I just made, I just, this is not in any order, but this would be my top 10. So this is again, not in any order. This is just naming the 10 names Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Duncan. Kobe, Shaq, Hakeem, Bird, Curry, Russell. Um, like, to me, if... I also don't think you can put Curry over a guy won 11 rings as the best player. Like, Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I will always say this about Russell. Like, it doesn't really make sense to me, like, that he's one of the 10 best players of all time when you just look at his numbers or whatever. Um, but, like... Yeah, the gear point, you win 11 championships. Everybody from that era, if you look at all of like the quotes and all that stuff from contemporaries, they basically all like worshiped Russell. He was highly regarded among peers and coaches and everybody around the league. Um, they won 11 championships in 13 years. He was a player coach for the last one, which is, I can't even imagine that nowadays. Like, I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, but like, yeah, he, he has to be top 10 to me, Russell. Um, just because, like, if you own an era like that, like, you have to be in the top ten of all time. It just, that's, like, not a discussion to be had. I don't need to watch a bunch of Bill Russell tape to, to feel that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think to me, Curry is right there, like, 10 to 12 range. Um, but I've seen some pretty interesting arguments for, I've seen some, some interesting arguments for why maybe him over Kobe, um, you know, maybe him over. I don't necessarily agree with something like that, especially with a guy like Kobe who who did make nine All First NBA Defensive Teams. But um, and you know, the the, the debate is kind of fun. That's kind of the fun part. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm I, I think that getting back to this series, 
I still favor Boston because as great as Steph was, the degree of difficulty of a lot of what he had to do and the fact that um, as impactful as it was, both the fact that his teammates um, couldn't really take advantage of it as much as you'd like, to your point, the statistical production from particularly the front court, but really many of the players was lacking. Uh, and you can't really play their second best offensive threat with Steph because they can get exploited on the, on the other end. Um, and the fact that, you know, Steph nearly outscored Tatum and Brown by himself, right? I'm looking at an ESPN graphic. He had 43 on 14 for 26. Brown and Tatum together had 44 on 17 for 42. And Golden State only won by five. Can they replicate that? So they won by 10. Okay, but it, was, it, but yeah. it wasn't until very late. It was an extremely tight game, right? Um, and they won by 10 with the free throws and all that. Um, like, I don't know if they can replicate that. Whereas I think that there's a lot of what Boston is succeeding at that I just don't think they have answers for. Um, I mean, I think playing Kuminga is an option, but I don't think that realistically it's tough to see Golden State. Like, I think they need Steph to do this twice out of the next three games, and they need Brown and Tatum to play at that kind of level. And I just, so, it's tough for me to see that. The wild card, though, to me is like Draymond literally has done nothing this series, and it's 2 2. Like, if Draymond can just figure it out, and like, not even figure it out, it's like, bro, just take some open fucking shots. You know, like, like I know you can make them. We've seen you make open shots in your career. I don't know what's going on with him, but like, if he can just have an impact, that's a really big deal to me. Like, because he's been terrible throughout the series. I mean, he, he didn't he openly say it yesterday too, that he was like, they asked him about getting benched kind of late down the stretch of the game for a lot of it. And he was kind of like, yeah, it's okay. And he said after game three, uh, in the presence of his son, who I hope. Uh, <laughs> well, it was recover. right after Clay complained about the Boston fans, right? <laughs> yeah, Clay's got to shut up, man. That was ridiculous. But yeah, it was like, you know, he said he played like shit. He did play like shit. Um, so like, can Draymond get, give them something? You know, and, and I thought yesterday, to his credit, I thought yesterday on defense, at least, Draymond finally gave them something. Like, he was not a zero on defense yesterday, which is a huge deal. But, like, yeah, I, I don't know. that It's my brain, like, my brain is very much like Boston should still win this series. But, man, I, you have the best player in the series. It's a best of three now. Like, I, and they have home court. That's it's tough. Like it's really, really tough for me to to roll with Boston in that in that sense. Like I, I just I don't know. I my my gut instinct. So when I kind of just what if I had to bet, put my life on the line, I think I would just take Golden State purely because I think Steph is he but is. Can that. you do what he did yesterday? I mean, he Again. did. He did something like that in game two, right? I mean, he's been pretty great this entire series. You know, like I was yesterday was obviously the best, but like I think they have avenues to like Otto Porter Jr. can score more than two points. You know, like I think they, and here's the other one like if they win game five, and this is like a kind of a joke, but it's kind of not like if they win game five, they're going to get game six clay. Like that's going to happen. Clay is going to go off at some point in the series. It's it is a guarantee he will he have a, a game. Where it goes he had off. A few shots anyway, so yeah, he had a few, but he hasn't had like a scorching hot game yet. You know, like he hasn't had one of those Clay no dribble fifteen three point performances or something. It's going to happen at some point. It, it's just a matter of like 
when when will it be and will it be you know in a moment where golden state has a chance to close out will it be if golden state is trying to save their season whatever it is it's gonna happen i i just feel like it's a matter of time for him um and you know and i've been really critical of pool but like pool hasn't had a game where he went off really right like i mean i know he had a nice game too but that was the game was kind of over at that point you know like it wasn't him going off during a key stage of a game so i just feel like the fact that it's even 2-2 right now is really surprising and i do agree like i just i don't know if jason tatum is going to like figure it out because he's really struggled with his shooting throughout this series and often throughout the playoffs yeah um i it's just tough though like i mean the the amount of the amount of wherewithal to break that defense for 48 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and that's what's most impressive about what Steph's doing. It's really the mental toughness, right? They're they're sending three, four. They're showing him all these bodies. Like, he's barely getting much breathing room. Um, and he continues to, 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 he continues to go nonstop. I mean, his stamina is probably one of the more underrated parts of his game as well, right? The, the energy needed to make that work. Uh, the off-ball and on-ball movement, as you said before, not just be a complete zero on defense and leave it at that. Uh, but it's what makes him a champion. And I think because of all that, because I do still think, um, I think if he can break the will of, he's not going to break the will of this Boston defense, but if he can avoid them breaking his will and win, this would be this would be his most impressive title by far. It would be one of the most impressive titles since at least LeBron beating the 73 win Warriors, uh, he'd be up there. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, hundred percent. All right. Look, we've talked about this finals, uh, a lot, but the Knicks have to assemble a team that can get to the finals. How can they do this? Well, they do have draft picks. So let's talk a little bit about the draft. Um, I actually wanted to, all right, look, let's talk about Jalen, Durant first because we've talked a lot about centers and you know you're not a Mark Williams guy I am a Mark Williams guy but I also don't think the Knicks should take Mark Williams at 11 um and you know I I don't necessarily I don't agree with the extent to which you feel about the value of like a drop big and all that kind of shit but I do like agree with it, I, I agree with it to an extent. And so for me, like, because of the archetype of big Mark Williams is, I don't think he's worth the 11th pick. But Jalen Duran, who I've spent much of this week looking at uh, film of, I think he might be. Um, and I also think, yes, the average, like we've talked about this, right? The average outcome for a wing is better than the average outcome for a big. I agree with that. I think Jalen Duran has an outcome, though, that is an all-star. I don't think his pathway or avenue to that is super complex or difficult or require massive leaps in skill development. I think it's about accentuating and cleaning up his decision-making and reps. I, I think he has... If you're talking about ceiling, 
the guys that will be available to the Knicks at the 11th pick, I think there's a very, very reasonable logic to believing that Jalen Duran has a higher ceiling than, you know, um, I love Jalen Williams, but I can def or yeah, Jalen Williams, but I can see why a front office would think Duran has a better ceiling outcome. I can understand why a, a front office would determine that he has a better ceiling outcome than Malachi Branham or any of these guys, uh, or a lot of these guys. Uh, I don't know if I feel that way about Johnny Davis. I don't know if I feel that way about AJ Griffin. But I can understand that. I, I guess, like what I'm saying with, with Jalen Duran, I can understand why a team would take him in the late lottery because the switchability with him, uh, that on defense, and then you combine it with his age, and like I, I don't know. I, I I think he could be a really really special defensive player. Um, and like I, I don't know if you agree with this. I don't know. Even when Mitch was a more athletic version of himself. I don't think he moved as fluidly, uh, like in space and stuff like that, as Duran. And he, I don't know, I just think he is a really, really special defensive talent at the center position. Yeah, so, um, first of all, I think that in the context of, you know, we saw a few people tweet yesterday about the doom and gloom and how the, the Knicks are screwed because this is clearly a they, there's no good options at the 11th. It's a, ten, it's a 10 player draft. Um, but if the Knicks had the 10th pick, it would have been a nine player draft. Um, okay. And so on. If they had the fourth pick, it would have been a three player draft. Oh, the Knicks, they, the, they won't get Bancaro or Holmgren or Jabari. Woe is me. And there is, there's no Donovan Mitchell or Shea Yildiz Alexander in this draft, even though at those draft times, uh, neither of those guys was clearly thought of that way. Uh, at least not consensus. Um, and lastly, one of those guys who was brought up, um, Donovan Mitchell, was drafted by the guy leading the Knicks draft process. Um, so to be clear, they could pick, if they pick, I think the, the person who's they've worked out who I would least want them to pick um, is uh, Ochai Agbaji. Uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. From Kansas. You like Ty Ty more than him? On, it would be between those two. I, yeah, role, I do. I like Ty Ty more as a prospect. I just, they're both, Ty Ty's redundant with what the Knicks have. I would say the same about Igbaji because I think I would prefer to give Grimes minutes over him and, and Igbaji is, is older. So where does that I, I'm not. I'm not sold on his shooting uh, necessarily with Igbaji. I know he had a really good shooting season at Kentucky, but it's like, yeah, I think there are guys that profile as better shooters. He was at Kansas, but. Or Kansas, that's what I meant, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike... I can see Ty Ty being a, like a Tyus Jones-level player pretty easily. Um, I just think the Knicks have so many other options. And, and this it's a little bit like the center debate because um, yeah, here's the thing, right? If you get... If the Knicks had Jarrett Allen instead of Mitchell Robinson this year, mm -hmm. do you think that alone makes moves the needle massively in terms of where they finish? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think I, I think Jared I, Allen was like a, I. Just, I think he was. I actually think he gets not enough credit for how good he was and how impactful he was because you know because Darius Garland was so awesome. Like I I don't think people appreciate 
like as soon as Allen went down, their season went to shit. Like that, it, he he's not a better player than Darius Garland, but he might have been more singularly impactful for them in ways that I think will diminish over time. Because I think over time, Mobley will be more capable of anchoring the defense by himself, right? And, and holding down the glass and all that kind of stuff. So, like, over time, I don't expect that to be the, the case, but I do think last year it was the case. But I don't think he solves the problem for the Knicks of Randall often showing up like a turd in, a tur- a in the punch bowl. <laughs> a turd in the punch bowl uh, didn't solve the problem of a lack of consistent wing scoring wouldn't have solved the problem of consistently letting them go five out, although I think his passing would be intriguing. And, and if you played with a guy like Obi, that'd be fun. I don't think that, that that upgrade from Mitchell Robinson moves the needle that much, partly because I think Mitchell Robinson's impact has been underrated by many Knicks fans, and partly because um, because if you're not getting a, a center that lets you play five out, if you're not getting a guy who who can post up like Embiid or Jokic, like that upgrade to me... From the, the difference between five. And so you want to draft Mark Williams? Is what you're saying then? <laughs> if, well, so here's here's, and I'm I'm going to get to to that as well as with Durant, right? Um, if you don't like, if you don't have a guy like Bam or, or like, I just don't see the difference between like five and fifteen or twenty in terms of centers to be close to the difference between five and twenty for wings. Um, and I also think that you know, look, it's probably like Jared Allen is probably underpaid. But he does make the same amount of money as Norm Powell at Evan Fournier, basically, uh, which tells you that those kind of wings, like even compared to an all-star like Jared Allen, are tougher to find. Um, now, having said that, I can see the lot. So, and one, I think Jalen Williams absolutely can be that type of wing on offense. I think like his ceiling is the best player on a very good team on offense. Uh, I don't know that the defensive potential is is that great i think he'll probably top out around average with some nice ability to switch like or when i say switch i mean you don't want him switching on to john rant like if you're you know you can you have some lineup flexibility where he can probably guard some twos that are bigger and then if you want to play another guy with him it gives you that right but beyond that i don't think he adds a ton of value on defense so i'd say he has a higher ceiling i think usman diang could be again another primary initiating type wing at his ceiling um and then, and then that's without considering, you know, just the three and D aspects. Um, and then I think, lastly, I think that Matherin is a guy I've become more high on um, in terms of like I think the Knicks will have like whoever drafts him will have to dedicate reps to him on ball. But I think with the passing he showed um, and the athleticism um, and just like the flexibility and, and this, the the kind of like, that it's, there's the vertical athleticism, but there's his balance when getting his shots off off from three. I think there's a level he can hit um, on ball. But having said all of that, I would understand if they think there's too many warts in those guys, right? And they say, Duran is, at the end of the day, and this is what I said, he's six foot 10, seven foot five wingspan, missed the draft cutoff by, or just made the draft cutoff by 12 days, super young, uh, showed some passion flashes, obviously a freak athlete. Um, personally, I think the Knicks have a player that's pretty similar to that in Jericho Sims. Um, in terms of like what you said about the switchability and all of that, I think Sims gives you a lot of that. Um, and you know, how much is the upgrade or how much does it move the needle versus how much would it move the needle to get our wing of the future or, or a guy like that? I still think that wing moves it more 
uh, unless you're really talking about a guy. So I mentioned the Embiid or Jokic thing. So if they do draft Mark Williams, I hope they make it a very concerted effort to try to to establish him as an offensive hub. Um, if they and if they draft Mark Williams, I want I want Randall on a first class ticket, uh, coach ticket um, to Charlotte, Portland, Miami, Shanghai. I don't care. Um, but um, yeah, uh, that might be a little bit easier than Shanghai. Um, and then with Duran. Like the upside, so you, there's a special defensive upside, right? Um, I think one, one, I forget who it was, but somebody was tweeting, uh, about how, you know, you can see that, uh, you know, there are, like, there are, you know, you, you see what Warriors are doing with Looney. Williams has obviously been special, but, you know, there are a variety of, of bigs who have survived on defense, right? So how important is it to have that? kind of special defensive player to win win a championship is unclear. But if you want to give him that, if they do draft him, I don't want to see him used as a rim runner on offense. If they draft him at the 11th pick, I want to see them start using him like Bam. Uh, and I don't care if it has some bad results or if it drives Tibbs crazy. Um, I need to I need to see some ball handling potential because he, he is only 6'10". So it, it's less of an excuse to say, well, he's a center. Don't ask him to create at all. I need to see that. Um, and I think it'll come down to if he has the work ethic to make that work, then yeah, I can see it. He has the tools to be great. Um, he has decent feel, especially for a very, very young player. Um, and he showed, I don't buy the shooting, but, but Bam isn't really a shooter and is still a massively impactful offensive player. Um, that would be how I would talk myself into the pick. It's not a bet I would personally take over the other wings and the, the ones I described. But I, I do see, you know, if you view him in that light, and if you do the, the background on him, and you know the Knicks will, and they find out that he's really just like RJ or Quickly or any of these guys, a guy that you have to kick out of the gym and all of that, then I'm like, all right, you know, let's do it. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings Same Game Parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 Same Game Parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the thing that's really intriguing for me with Duran is we talk about, like, switchable fives and all that kind of stuff. And we had a big debate about this last week, I think about Robert Williams' switchability. Like, Duran, just looking at the film, right? Does he have moments where he gets in trouble on switches? Sure. But the way he moves is, like, fucking insane, man. Like, I I think Bam is probably the most switchable five in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I hate putting Giannis there, though, because he just plays, like, Giannis position, which is whatever. Like, 
the four, the five, the one, whatever the fuck you need to put it at, he just doesn't. But like, excluding Giannis, yeah, I just and, and I I don't know, man. The way he moves, he's like he moves like a fucking wing. He's a more explosive athlete, I think, than Bam too, by not an insignificant margin. Um, I just I don't know, man. Like I, the things that you can do with him, I think, are really unique. If you ever did, like, let's say the Knicks acquired a player like, whatever, let's say, Kristaps. Like, could you get away with playing? <laughs> could you get snuck that yeah. in there? <laughs> but could you could you get away with playing Duran and Kristaps together? You know what I mean? Like, because I think Duran actually has the ability to defend on the perimeter too. Like, like really defend on the perimeter. Could you get away with playing Duran and Julius Randle together? <laughs> um, yeah, not a joke you, because that is a criticism of Mitch, right? That he yeah. He I mean, I think I think the difference. So I think one of the differences is I don't care so much about five out. I mean, I think it's really useful if you have a legitimate five out option, but like I don't think it needs to be the end all be all goal. But like I think one of the main issues that the Knicks have with Mitch and Randall together is Mitch has no ball skills, and so like. There is no high-low stuff you can do with them. There is no, you know, like there's just not a lot of versatility to that group. And I think if you watch Duran's film, there's reason for optimism that he can be, even if he's ultimately like, if he even if he falls under the archetype of rim-running vertical five threat, there's still way more to work with, I think. He's, like, again, his fluidity really stands out. Um, I think you'll already see some really promising flashes in terms of short roll passing. Um, and yeah, like I just, I don't know. I just, there's just a world where like, I can totally see this guy being like just a weapon on defense in so many ways. Um, and really being a dude that like you teams don't even want to dare to get out on a switch. Like they would just find better dudes to attack because they don't want to put him in the action. Uh, and I feel like if if he hits that level, you know, that's a pretty spectacular player. And get that at 11, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of have like crazy visions of like what he could do. Um, whereas like with Mark Williams, who I really like, he's like very solid, but you don't have to like dream out kind of, right? Like there's no like great wonder of what he can be. You know, like the vision for Mark is very straightforward. Whereas I think with Duran, like, you know, you just mentioned this too when you're talking about him. It's like, there are ways and pathways to develop him where like he adds very, very unique dimensions to your team on both ends of the floor. And players like that, players that give you an edge, um, that ultimately is, I think, what you, what we should be looking at more so than like, not not that your point of like initiating wing is a more valuable commodity, and that's reflected in obviously player salary and all kinds of things. Um, that that definitely is a consideration, but but there is other shit to evaluate, and like I don't know, like again with Duran, I just see the potential for a player that adds very unique dimensions on both ends of the floor for this team and for any team, really. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have to see the 99th percentile outcome 
he has to like, or or you'd have to convince me that it was more likely than um than the other ones i mentioned uh, you have to you, I think you, you basically can... need to believe that like the 75th percentile outcome is an all-star for him and that would make it worth it then to be like well if that's an all-star then what is the 90th percentile outcome for him right is that yeah, exactly that's yeah that's the, yeah uh and i would like to see the 90th percentile outcome yeah if it's more athletic bam um do you agree he's more athletic than bam by the way I can see that. I think Bam's a little bit underrated in that regard. Um, I think he's. He, I think that's a good comp for him. Duran does have freakish, and I, I think that is why work ethic matters so much, right? Uh, I think that's been a like Robert Williams has struggled with a lot of adversity, uh, and he's really come a long way. That doesn't happen without great um, work ethic. Um, with Duran, I don't like. He didn't get to a chance to freelance much at Memphis. Um, and I think that was kind of a hidden thing with Bam is like people didn't really know what he could be as a ball handler. So I'd be interested to see if, if the Knicks, if that's the vision the Knicks have, like there's untapped kind of upside on, on offense. That would be very interesting. And I'd, I'd love that pick. Um, on defense though, here's the thing. I know like Mitch is, um, you know, like I, I don't know that the player, like what you described in terms of just being more fluid just being able to maybe take a dribble and do things that Mitch couldn't while it was very frustrating not to see Mitch be able to do those things. I don't think that that moves the needle that much. Um, I, I think, I also think that you can get 75 to 80% of that pretty cheap um, or it's pretty replicable. And then on the other end, how much do, like he really has to hit a high outcome on defense um, to make that worth it. So the, the long and short of it is, like, if, if we're just getting a player that's, like, 15 20% better than Mitch in terms of impact, that's just not that – that doesn't move me that much. I think you can – like, you can, you've seen playoff teams find value at the center position without having to make big investments. So I, I, I need to see a star outcome uh, from him to make that pick worth it. And a star means, like, better than Robert Williams. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, all right, let's actually do this real quick. Let's do some over-unders on draft slots. Um, we're just going to... We're not going to do the top four. I want to just... I want you to quickly give me your over-under for these guys. Or, sorry, if you take the over or the under. Dyson Daniels, six and a half. Over or under. Sorry, so over means the number is bigger or they will go like higher oh. than the... Uh, number is bigger. Right, so I would. I think he will get drafted after six and a half. So I'll say over. Okay, uh, Shade and Sharp over five and a half, or over seven and a half. Sorry, over. Yeah, I think All Matherin right. and uh, and Keegan are going to go higher than people expect. Okay, Keegan five and a half under. I think under too. Uh, Benedict Matherin. Uh, his number is eight and a half. Under. I think he goes under also. I think teams are... All the buzz on him is really positive. I can't see him dropping Doesn't he past. seem like the perfect Norm Powell replacement? They signed him to a big deal in Portland, right? 
They do. They did. I just don't think. I don't think Portland's keeping that pick. Um, I think they're going to trade it. I, but yeah, he would be awesome there. He's also bigger than Norm and can actually play defense potentially. So there's that. Uh, all right. You see your boy right here, Johnny Davis, nine and a half. Um. So nine is San Antonio. They seem to be wanting a big. I'm going to say it's over, but I also am becoming increasingly acceptable. He's there at 11. So I'm going to say over, and I think he is there at 11. Um, I would actually bet that he's there at 11. And you would st- would you take him over Duran, given what we just talked about? Or you'd have to think about it, it sounds like. Uh, I would probably take him over Duran, but like... I think, uh, I guess the best way to put it is forgetting what the value of these things is. I think it's more likely that Duran becomes an elite center than it is that Johnny Davis becomes an elite wing. Yeah. Um, It's more likely he becomes your, or Jared Levin, Allen level impact than Davis Davis becomes becomes Jalen Brown. Yeah. Or Booker or something. Yeah. Or even Jalen Brown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, AJ Griffin, 10 and a half. Um. Oh, under, under, under. I'm gonna go over. I feel like there's too much weird buzz about him dropping. That it's, I don't know. It's just like I think there's something going on there with his. I think I would bet that he has not shared his medicals with every team, and I feel like that will scare off enough teams given his uh, injury history going back to high school. So that's why I think he'll go over. Um. I would if he's take there him, at eleven too. Yeah. I would probably take him over. Him and Davis would be a coin flip to me, um, but I would take him. I would take him. Um, Jalen Duran over ten and a half, or sorry, over or under ten, ten and a half. I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna say over, but I think San Antonio is the spot. If he gets past San Antonio, I think he's there on the board at eleven for the Knicks. Um, I don't think any of the top four teams will take it. The only, I will say this, I think Detroit's a wild card. We know they want a center. Troy Weaver has generally, he comes from OKC. They like taking freaky athletes with wingspan and all that shit. Duran definitely fits that bill. I think he would also be really fun with Kate Cunningham. Um, and their defense was already fucking good last year, second half of the season. So, Adding Duran to that team would be, man, Cade, Sadiq Bey, Duran as like the foundation of your defense for the next three, four, five years is that would be really fucking fun. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would say there's actually a few possibilities for Duran. Um, I think that the, oh, look. Sacramento needs does he fit well with Sabonis? Probably not off the bat, but they do need some front court defensive presence. Um and you know, they've taken they've taken, you know, Marvin Bagley in the past. So clearly a long good athlete. Good, good. That aside, you know, a long <laughs> athlete is something we've seen them do. Uh and they're not they obviously are it sounds like they're not in love with the fit of Ivy. Um Detroit, you mentioned the reasons. Uh even I mean Indy might be looking to move off Miles Turner, but they have they have Isaiah Jackson, and I think they really like him. That's true, and he's in a similar yeah. mold. Yeah. Um, 
then Portland might be looking to move off Nurkic. So I would, but you said they're they're looking to trade out. I, I would be shocked if they're there. Like I don't think that pick is for them. So um, the the other yeah. thing would be if they if they trade with a team, maybe like Charlotte or maybe like um, Toronto. Toronto, right? I mean, Jalen Duran looks like exactly a Toronto Raptor, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Especially if they believe, you know, they can, you know, kind of in that precious mold. It even went to the same school. Um, at eight, New Orleans probably not a good fit for Duran. Um, yeah, San Antonio, as you mentioned, and then I think I could see Washington. Like they have Gafford, but Duran gives them another look. Right. But they have Kristaps uh, too, and I think they keep if they keep Kristaps, they like him. I think they. But you just said Durant could play with, with with him. I think he could. I don't know if most teams would see it that way. I feel like most teams would be like, "Well, we have Kristaps, so, and we have Gafford. We're paying enough at this position. Let's let's just take a wing." Um, and I, they've also like I think Beal's probably going to stay, and he's openly talked about he wants to play with the bigger guard. Like that to me is Dyson Daniels' floor right there. 10. I can't see him getting past Washington if he's there. Um, that That's the absolute form. But I just think they, they would, you don't think they would view Johnny Davis as that? I think they could. I think they could. Yeah. So, but I, I feel like if he's, if they're both on the board, they would go Daniels over Davis. Just my guess. Um, all right. Jeremy Sohan, uh, 11 and a half. Yeah, it's over, I think. I love the fit in San Antonio. Um, mm-hmm. I actually think like he reminds me so much of Dio. He reminds me of a girl that I once knew. Um, <laughs> did you do you see her face every time you look at him? Um, but um, but I also think this is one thing I will say. Like he's not really a shooter. Um, I think that he might get to stationary at some point. But like, what is the reasoning for taking him over Duran? He's a better passer. But not by that much. Darren's shown some good perimeter passing flashes. Um, he is—is um, he more switchable than Duran? They're both really good defenders. Sohan might be a little a hair quicker on the perimeter, uh, but Duran's the better vertical athlete, um, and I think he has the higher potential as the as, the, as a true five um, who can do those things. So I would have Duran over Sohan, and I would imagine the Spurs would too. Um, and, and they're very similar in the sense of like that switchy, versatile defender. Uh, and if they wanted to go with Mark Williams for more of it, and I think that Mark Williams under Pop would be, could really have a lot of potential, right? I mean, Pop's mm-hmm. got a pretty good track record with bigs. Um, I could see that, but if they're going for that switchy big archetype, then I think it'll be Duran over him. So, and after that, I, I don't see the Knicks being in love with Sohan. No, because I, they've taken very few non shooters. There's no, like, I, there's no shot they take so on. Like, absolutely zero shot. So I'm going to say over, although I think I do like him a lot. Uh, he's a fun player, uh, and he's going to be fun to watch wherever he goes. I'm going to say under. I just think there's, he's, there, you know, like we've, NBA is like the NFL, uh, like any league, it's a copycat league. And I think teams will watch how the playoffs have played out, see how much defensive versatility is important. And a guy like Sohan, if you think that he's a one to four, one to five defender, is going to pop. He's gonna. He's some team is just going to fall in love with him. I think there's a reason why both him and Dyson Daniels um, have kind of been like. I think their stock has risen through the pre-draft process, and um, 
yeah, I just think somebody's going to take him. He's he just fits a lot of the kind of trends we're starting to see. All right, there's two more. Uh, Mark Williams, twelve and a half. This is like easy over for me. Yeah, um, I mean, if we pass on him, he's not going. He's probably not going to OKC. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I I like the fit in Charlotte. Uh, I think MJ will like his game. He's not a fit in Cleveland at all. Um, or, I mean, I just would be very surprised if Cleveland took him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not happening. He'd um, be an interesting trade-up target, though, for a few teams, I think. Yeah. Like, if, if um, he drops into that range at that point. Yeah. And and going back to the whole big thing, yeah, I said this before, but, like, if they draft, if the Knicks draft a center, I just want them to be ambitious with it. <laughs> I think the idea that a marginal upgrade over Mitch... And if that's what they're like, yeah, this guy is going to be a, a better player than Mitch, like they should be aiming higher from this lottery pick no matter what. If they were to take a point guard, that means they, they think Taitai Washington can be one of the top five point guards. So that's, I mean, that's all. And I, I'm skeptical that either of those guys can be that, but I, I can see it. And, and with Williams, I think the post game, maybe he's that big and he has good touch. That's a pretty interesting combo. But um, but I'm going to take the over. So. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, I Love Mark, but that's an over for me. Okay, last one. Ochai Agbaji, 15 and a half. Over. I, yeah, I just don't see the talent play. Um, I think there's a couple of guys that haven't been mentioned that can sneak into the lottery. Um, I really like Jaden Hardy as a potential fit with Cleveland. Uh, take some pressure off Darius Garland. Um, but Branham, and I'm, Cleveland is actually the most interesting team to me in terms of what they do, because uh, there's a lot of different ways they go. But um, I think that they would be the team I would think could take Agbaji, um, just because you know they're playoff team or they're close to the playoffs, and um, you know they already have their star and they just want a plug and play guy. I could see that happening. Um, but besides them, but I think there's better options for that for the. the Cavaliers, um, and I think um, I'm going to take the over. Uh, all right, cool. All right, I want to talk a little bit about um, Berman's appearance on Friend of the Pod, Chris Persianian, his uh, his pod draft. Uh, is it draft film school? Is that what it is? Draft, draft class. class. Draft class that you were Berman on. Berman is definitely the second most interesting guest who's been on there. So. Yeah, I would say third, actually. Um, but I mean, as long as we're agreed on number one, you know. Yeah, we both think it's me, so of course. <laughs> uh, but no, like, I, I want to talk a little bit about this because he dropped some interesting tidbits on there. Not, I don't think anything that we didn't know, but I, I, did, I feel pretty strongly about this. That when Berman says, according to sources, the source, I think he's talking about Tibbs. I think Tibbs or somebody that's Tibbs adjacent uh, is is very much his source. Man, I gotta say this. That entire interview, it made me Julius Randle like we forgot about this, like because it's just been so long. He came across as such a fucking baby. And he it, it's like it's not even that surprising because he played like it all year. He acted like it all year. The idea that he was upset because Knicks fans were chanting for RJ Barrett when he was at the free throw line, the whole thing about him not coming out for warm-ups after a while and just like everything about 
him this past season. I mean, he even talked about how, like, Tibbs didn't want to bench him because he thought it would, like, destroy whatever confidence he had left and all this kind of thing. This dude is such if, – if these things are true – and I actually, like, you know, say whatever you want about Berman and how trustworthy he is, but there's no reason for me to, to feel he's not accurate about this. Uh, he just has to go. I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sick of this guy at this point. Like, he might bounce back somewhere and win, you know, another fucking most improved player, as Hug put it, like, or Discord, you know, win a second most improved player or something. But he, he's just got to go. He's got to go. He was an absolute what is it in uh in the Sopranos where he's like you've created a golem uh about Tony you know with the uh the, the, the um the the motel owners right yeah 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 uh like that is what it feels like with Julius here like he just is adding no value and detracting from the collective effort of everybody else he just has to go and like this you know again if you don't want to believe Berman that's fine I think there was enough evidence of it that lends everything he said some credence. Um, you know, I just think he has to go. He has to get a fresh start somewhere. And, you know, I just, you know, enough. Like, I don't want to deal with this fucking guy pouting and crying because R.J. Barrett was getting love from the Knicks crowd. Um, you know, and I also, like, what did you expect, dude? Fucking thumbs down the crowd and basically said, you know, that what did you mean? It meant shut the fuck up. Like, what did you think was going to be the reaction and then your response to it was to play like fucking ass you know like <laughs> and I, I will say early in the season Knicks fans did not turn on him like that boo even that moment I think that was generally towards the team right I um, mean he he didn't even yeah like they were down 25 or something to the Celtics in that game I re- literally recently rewatched that game and it's weird when he does the thumbs down thing it's like I mean, what do you what do you expect fans boo when you're getting your ass kicked by a team from Boston, New and, York and, fans? And even, like, I didn't get I didn't get that upset about the thumbs up thing. I didn't the either thing. because sometimes it's even even in the course of a game, right? Like we've all played sports, right? You you do feel vindication, right? Like if if someone's like saying like, "Oh, let him shoot, let him shoot," and you hit a shot, you're gonna let them know. That doesn't mean that if you were one for five before that, or you know, if you hadn't hit a shot before that, that doesn't mean they were wrong to do it, right? But that's fine. And then even even after the game saying it meant shut the fuck up, okay, fine. What you can't do is after that, not show F like here's the thing. I don't think there's a single Knicks fan that would blame him for for ha- for not shooting the ball well. Um I think there are a good amount of Knicks fans that would blame him for making poor decisions with the ball. Uh, and perhaps not moving it as much. But I think even those fans would say he was put in a tough position by a confluence of factors. Um, where you're going to lose nearly every Knicks fan is if you're guarding a guy like Joel Embiid, or if you're responsible for a guy like that, and he's running down the court, you make eye contact with that, and you're jogging, and you keep jogging. Um, you know, like you're out for a nice little leisurely jog in the park, um, and then that guy throws a dunk down. Um, again, what did you think was going to happen, right? That's the thing. So you want to thumbs down, you want to say these things, that's all good. But on the court, the effort can't go. What is a little bit perplexing is it doesn't seem like any of his teammates have turned on him. He seems to have a pretty good relationship with them. Uh, it doesn't seem I, like... Sorry, good. I don't know. I was I was thinking about this too when I was listening to this episode. Like, well, the teammates haven't turned on him. I don't know if they haven't 
turned on him as much as they're just like, like, we've all been around somebody who you don't particularly get along with, and but has like an overbearing personality and stuff like that. They almost force themselves upon you and you have to just kind of like smile and get on with it and not create a scene. And I feel like I don't see quickly or OB or RJ or really any of our vets even who are going to be the type to like fight with him verbally, physically, whatever, like, you know, freeze him out of the game or chill. I just don't think there's, there's any of that there with the roster. And that is ultimately like, I, I don't, I don't yeah, think they there, are, there are some combative personalities, most notably Fournier. And there didn't seem to be a ton, like they had some arguments, but there didn't seem to really be any bad blood between those two, for example. Yeah. I don't think anybody dislikes him personally, for sure. Um, but, um, so, and, and I get it, right? Like, I get that there can be psychological effects. It's being a pro athlete, being in the spotlight, it's tough. Um, but I do think he's handled all of that as poorly as one possibly can. Because here's the thing. I'm sure Draymond, Draymond, I mean, he flipped off opposing fans. He's done those kinds of things, right? People are criticizing about the podcast thing. The difference is, by and large, for the majority of his career, his effort, is even yesterday, his effort wasn't in question, right? He, maybe he's dealing with a confidence issue. Maybe he's overthinking things on offense, but you would never have called that out. You got You got to back it up. Um, and while there is part of me that would say, "Look, you know, you use him as a role man, you use him in space," um, you know, is it? I mean, that's the big debate. Was it Tibbs misusing him, or was it, or was it Randall's just refusal to to do those kinds of things um, when the chips were were down? I think it's really a combination of both. I, I I think that Berman is probably a little bit too quick to let Tibbs off the hook there. Um, but I think it's not like if you listen to that pod, it's you know if Tibbs is his source, right? Maybe Tibbs has had it with Randall. Um, because another thing that coincidentally came up was this was this was hilarious to me because Berman was like, oh yeah, Tibbs, he saw like wow, finally he gave Ovi a chance, and he saw the energy he brought. He saw how much it impacted the team. And then the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. Um, but that part um, was so stupid to me. It's like what you needed. You needed to say. I gotta say that that, that long to get where most and people were. And Even also, we watched the game fifteen times, but we saw that a long time ago. And and also, like Berman framed it in the most bullshit way. And this is how you know it's coming from Tibbs. Is like he's like, oh well, you know, quickly and Obi really struggled until the last three weeks of the season. No, they didn't. Like that's horse shit, and like not in terms of actually impacting winning, yeah, yeah, and also yeah, like shot not that well, but yeah, and and like okay, but Kemba was was he? Yeah, he was doing a lot. He said Obi was often out of position in practice. So yeah, so Julius Randle must have been the exact opposite of everything I've seen in games, right? In practice, yeah, that's what you're yeah, telling. Right, yeah. What was he doing in practice? Like, I'm sure he was maxing out there. Like, you know, give me a break. I just thought that part of it was bullshit, and also like, yeah, like Tibbs needed. Like, what was he watching? Oh, wow. He finally saw that Obi could lift his teammates. And, like, it's like, okay, yeah, because he, he did that the first fucking game of the season. He did that last year. Yeah. Like what, like, what did you need to see? And that's why, like, I also... Like, we don't win the one playoff win we had. Obi was massively awesome. impactful. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I like to me, that's just, like, stubborn. 
that's not that's not about like he needed to be convinced. That's just like I have this fucking one one lane kind of like this is I just see this is my vision and that's it. There's nothing else. And you need so many things to change for you to accept that maybe there is something else there. And like, you know, he also was like, oh, well, you know, quickly he's not, he's never going to be a starting guard for a good team. Why? Well, what reason is that? Because Mark Berman and Tom Thibodeau have determined that it's impossible. Like, what is the basis for that? He's a second year player who for two years running has arguably been the most impactful player on the fucking roster. He's improved year both years he is a good defender he is an impactful offensive player he plays well stylistically with all of the key players on the team he is literally the only player on the fucking knicks who had a positive net rating with julius randall which should be like that's like a miracle it's like a badge of honor uh considering julius has played this past season he's the only player with a positive net rating with him he basically featured like Virtually any good lineup the Knicks put out there this year featured Emmanuel quickly. And if he wasn't on the floor, they did not have a good lineup on the floor. Like, if this player has no potential to be a good starting guard, then I don't know what we're talking about. Like, I, I don't even know we're watching the same sport, if that's your evaluation. So that's Tibbs' evaluation, and that's coming out of Mark well, It Burns. seems like that was what changed, right? Like, once he gave... No, 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 no. That did not change. That was said... This was about. I didn't finish talking- the pod, so I, I yeah. saw in the beginning where he said that RJ would have been the only like untouchable yeah. guy, and then Obi and IQ are in that group now. Because he he was it. talking about they were talking about trading up for Jaden Ivy, um, and he's like, you know, if the cost is quickly, you got to do it. If you think Jaden Ivy's an all star, that point, I don't necessarily disagree with. Although I do think quickly's upside is very much slept on. Um, but like, if they think Jaden Ivy's an all star and they don't think quickly is an all star then yes, I think it's reasonable to be like, let's trade quickly plus 11 to move up for Jaden Ivy pick, whatever it is. Cool. I would understand that. But I don't agree with the idea that quickly can't be a good starting point guard, that he hasn't shown that ability. He called him like a, a good bench scorer is what he said. And like that to me is just like a fundamental, that is what Tibbs wanted to pigeonhole him as, right? That is what he wanted to pigeonhole him as. And the organization clearly doesn't feel the same way about it as he did based on kind of what we were told his targets were last offseason. I think right? World Wide West certainly doesn't agree with that. Yeah. Like, so, so I, I disagree with, with, with that. Um, and, I, and again, like, there's just so much in there with, like, like even the Reddish stuff, right? He was like, Tom doesn't like Reddish, which I think is obvious. But his reasoning for why he didn't want the Knicks to make that trade was like, well, I'm having trouble putting Grimes in the rotation already, and therefore I don't have space to play Reddish. And I'm like, one... It's also the way Berman framed that, and kudos to Chris for kind of steering this away, because he was like, he didn't want to take... like So people wanted Reddish, but he didn't want to take Grimes out of the rotation. If that was the only... If only that was the only yeah. player he could have possibly taken out or reduced the it's minutes. It's not binary. Like he, it's a, it's a false binary. It's not like but there are other options to reduce minutes. Namely, the guy who doesn't play any defense, um, or the guy who is being miscast as a point guard right now. Right. So, yeah, like, and, and it just kind of shows to me how rigid his thinking is. That like he looks at a player like Cam and is like he can only play the two or the three. Right. It's like. 
That's so bizarre. That is so bizarre because I think a lot of, I think most coaches in the NBA would look at him and they'd just be like, yeah, two, three, four, whatever, sure. Like fit him somewhere in there. He can play multiple roles. And, and to not like even think of that and view it purely as like Grimes or Reddish, it's a very revealing like peek into Tibbs's thinking. And it, I mean, obviously we saw it play out with kind of his rigidity the last two seasons, but like he's so inflexible with every player other than Alec Burks, basically. Like other than Alec Burks, everybody just has their role and they have to play their role. And the only other player who has any flexibility is quickly, but only when Derrick Rose is hurt. Because if Derrick Rose is not hurt, then he's definitely not a point guard. But when Derrick Rose is healthy, then quickly, like when Derrick Rose is healthy, quickly cannot play point guard. But when Derrick Rose is hurt, then quickly, you know, has to play some point guard. It's just like, this stuff, this stuff is so fucking stupid to me. And it just makes me so, like, at the very least, it, it just made it even more apparent they have to get rid of Julius this offseason. Because if we go into next year and we're still sitting here, like, with Tibbs, who is not going to play these guys together at the four and the five, we are wasting time. Um, and, like, you know, maybe they can create a scenario where, like, he has to play them together for certain minutes. Like, okay, we let Mitch walk and we literally don't sign a center. I would actually kind of respect that. I'd be like, okay, well, they basically just said, like, you have to play these guys together at some point during games. Um, but that's not ideal. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the shit you have to do to get him to try something that – I honestly think 29 other coaches in the NBA would have tried Julius and Obi together way more than Tips did. Do you even think that's an outlandish statement? Uh, maybe Doc wouldn't have. Maybe Doc wouldn't have and maybe Nate McMillan wouldn't have. That's about it. Like, I but really... I'm not... See, that's the thing. Right? I, I think where I am on Julius and Obi is where you are with Brunson and Quickly. We're actually get not playing them together. Um, I do think people... You get not playing them together. Like, I'm not talking about this is your main look. I'm talking about, like, you play it for... Situationally against certain teams, like, like, like six, six to eight minutes a game. Let's just call it like that's broadly what it would be. Because I, I don't, I understand why Tibbs wouldn't want to play in a scenario where we land Brunson. If he was like, I don't like playing Brunson and IQ together, I would understand if he didn't play them together a bunch. But I still would expect him to play them together a bit. Six to eight he minutes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and like, like to not mm-hmm. even try to make like. You're at points in the season, right, where it's like, okay, if things aren't working, naturally you have to look at, like, okay, what are things we could try that maybe give us a little boost? What is the evidence they give us a little boost? Is there shit that we have done that there's a cause for optimism? Obi and Randall's minutes were, like, the only minutes Julius played well and the team played well with him on the floor this past year. Like, really, like, if you look at it, and not only that, I've posted this before, the team shot more threes. They took more shots at the rim. They shot less from mid-range. And they were actually better on offense, unsurprisingly. They were actually also better on defense than their season defensive rate. So, like, there was plenty of reason why why you would at least experiment with it more. Like, we beat the Celtics in that opening game in large part because he had, we were undermanned at the five, right? Nerlens was out and Todd was out. Todd had just had his uh, kid, his kid was born, so he, he wasn't there. And so he had, and Sims got like burned actually in the first half, and he was so bad. 
So Tibbs had to play Obi and Randall together, and those minutes were fucking awesome. Like, and we saw in other games when he, you know, because he was desperate, he turned to it. It was effective. Like, he played them together in a game in Toronto where we were getting absolutely destroyed in the first half. And Obi came in and was awesome. Like, outplayed Scotty Barnes, outplayed Pascal Siakam, outplayed fucking Randall. Like, he, he was the best player on the floor for a quarter. And him and Julius were together. And they made that game a close game. We almost came back and won it. But the point is, like, there was reasons against good teams we saw to to find evidence for a guy who apparently watches films 6,500 fucking times. If you watched that shit and didn't think it was worth looking at more, then you're a fucking idiot or you're a fucking stubborn asshole and you don't deserve your job. And like, I understand why Tibbs has his job. I don't think he's a bad development coach. I think he's a really good development coach. But if you can't trust your the guys you develop and if you can't, make adjustments and if you cannot try things because they because you have decided before the season this is how things are and this is the best way to do things and i don't and i and you refuse to look at evidence then you're not fit for your job like you're just not you have a clear-cut ceiling at where you can be and what your team can achieve and we to me we have already seen what the ceiling is with tom Thibodeau as a coach if you get a superstar Maybe you win a round, maybe you win two rounds or something in the playoffs, but you are not winning a championship with this coach. I feel extremely positive about that. And yes, we're not close to a championship, but the entire point of everything you do, be it player personnel, front office personnel, coaches, is finding guys that you think can be part of a championship organization, team, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Tom Thibodeau is not that guy. We should we should have moved on. And we are going to inevitably have to move on from him and his bullshit. And Julius Randle, along with him, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think going back to the Berman pod, it's interesting how those two things get uh, kind of lumped together. I do wonder if Julius would buy in more or change a little bit more for a different coach. Um Getting back to another thing I'll add, you know, I'm kind of as quickly as starting guard. A lot of people will be lumping in with Lou Williams, right? He's like Lou Williams. or um, And I think it was... Ball don't stop. Shout out. Yeah, and I think it was like Justin the Quickly Enjoyer. Shout out Justin Quickly Enjoyer on Discord. Made the point that actually um, Lou Williams with defense was probably would probably be an all-star. He would uh, be an all-star. <laughs> like 100% would be an all-star. And people think about it as, as a scorer, but he was putting up 30-plus assist rates. Um, and it was really his defensive shortcomings that probably is why he was never a full-time starter, which he probably could have been a full-time starter at a lot of places. Uh, and quickly, obviously, has that. Um, he is a much better defender. Um, and so I think the idea, because you know people have some of these preconceived notions, that's where you see, you know, he doesn't look like a starting guard to me. He looks like a bench scorer. And there's nothing wrong with that, sure. But let's not let's not just make that as because he reminds me of other players who are bench scorers. That's who might must be. And the worry with Tibbs is that that is kind of how he operates. And he doesn't trust you until he trusts you. Well, he's never, you're, that's, you know, you're never, you maybe you'll never trust the wrong person, but you also, it becomes, you probably miss on a lot of opportunities. Like, like if it was like, you know, you don't get trusted with real minutes until you prove you can handle real minutes in real minutes. You only so then you're never gonna you're never gonna find out until someone gets hurt. Uh, I don't I don't know that Quentin Grimes gets a chance at all. Like everyone says, Tibbs loved Grimes, 
okay. He, did, he didn't play at all for the first month and a half when Fournier was really struggling, uh, when Kemba Walker was really struggling, um, when he quickly was struggling, right? And playing a lot at the two. Um, you know, the only reason Grimes even got a chance was was COVID. And is that what it takes? Or, you know, you got basically a gun to your head to put, to put Obi in, and then suddenly something that was visible to everyone else magically becomes clear. And, and not just that, he, when he did that, he still went back to fucking Julius as soon as Julius was declared himself healthy. Because you remember this? We, we play probably the two most like inspired wire-to-wire efforts, games, whatever, that we had all season, okay? Against teams that previously we had not beaten this year in against Charlotte and then at Miami. Both games were, were away. But we're shorthanded in both games, not just with Randall out, uh, but Mitch was out for the first with again, the game against Charlotte, and then he came back against Miami. We were shorthanded. We came back and we won those games. We took it. We took it to Charlotte the first time all year. We took it to Charlotte, and against Miami, we have an inspired comeback. But the best thing about that game was even when we were down, we were still fighting. We were still clawing. The effort was not in question. There was, you know, it, it was. A quality effort, and they got rewarded with a nice comeback in the fourth quarter that quickly Deuce and Grimes all led, right? But Obi was awesome in both of those games. Against Miami, that guy, he was, I don't know what he, I forget what he scored. I think he scored like 18 points, but he was efficient. And like, I mean, Miami's a team that we have, like, Julius has been terrible against them for two years now. You know, like, he's been fucking awful against them. And like, as soon as Julius came back, he was a starting power forward, and Obi is still, you know, he's getting his 15 minutes or whatever the fuck it is, like 12, 15 minutes. It was still bullshit. So, like, he, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's not, it's clearly not even at now, like, even though he apparently, you know, now he's like Obi's biggest fan or something, it, it will not matter if Randall is here. We, we have seen evidence of it. And not, and, and what even, even if it did, what about the next big decision he needs to make? We just saw yesterday. I don't know if you think that Otto Porter being inserted into the starting lineup made a big difference, right? Or was that? But but he but Kerr also went away from Draymond down the stretch. Um, does Thibodeau have the flexibility and the creativity to make those decisions when he's not backed up against the wall? I don't know. I mean, would Tibbs think of it this way? One of the bench one of, Alfred in the playoffs. That does he deserve some credit for that? Sure, but I mean, no, he doesn't deserve any credit for that. He deserves absolutely zero credit for that because that is something me, you, uh, you know, like fucking everybody that watched the team knew that was happening. Everybody, knew, everybody that watched the team knew that if once the Knicks made the playoffs. Alfred Bain was no longer going to be playable, and that was a hundred percent the reason why throughout the season we were like, "It's this is great. I'm, we're very happy that we're winning games, and Tom Thibodeau deserves all this credit for it." But like, why are we avoiding this? Like, he is a fucking terrible player who does terrible things on the court, and the team plays worse on both ends of the floor with him on the court. Why the fuck is he? Out? Why is he starting? We have options. We have Derek Rose. We have Emmanuel quickly. If you start one of those guys, you can throw Frank in the rotation off the bench. Like, and this was the point that like people that tried to like, it was not about thinking Frank is a star or that Frank is some amazing player. It was a very very basic thing. Frank is a more useful player for this team and for every other team in the NBA than Alfred Payne in the year twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two and for time immemorial. 
he will be a better player and a more useful player for every fucking NBA team than Alfred Payne was. And if a coach cannot make that decision out of some misguided sense of loyalty to a player who deserved absolutely none of that, who deserved shit. That's what Alfred Payne deserved. Fucking shit fed to him. He was a terrible player who played like shit, who acted like an asshole throughout much of last season and predictably became useless and actually a total detriment once the playoffs started. And then magically Tom Thibodeau finally took him out of the rotation. But guess what? You know what sucks? Having to miss to now reshape your entire rotation and plan in the middle of a playoff series because you never bothered to even try it in the regular season. Like, that's the problem. You know, with Tom Thibodeau, would he have the balls in a final series to start J.J. Barea like Rick Carlisle did in 2011? Would he... Like he would he do would he play a box and one like Nick Nurse did against Steph Curry? Would he do any of these crazy things that so many series and championships have tilted up? I don't think he would. Kid, there's no evidence of it. Throughout his career, there hasn't been any evidence of it. You know, even in like one-off games where he does change the strategy and it's successful, you could play that same team a week later and he will not learn from it. He will go back to what his... Like, we saw this against the Nets. I've brought this up before. We played a game against them where we were getting destroyed. This is last year when they had Harden and KD or Harden and Kyrie, I think it was, in this game. KD was up. They were killing us, right? Because the Knicks were on a drop scheme, right? Harden and Kyrie against drop are nightmares. They're, they, they break drop coverages. That's what they are. They're spectacular offensive talents, especially against drop. He, in that game, coming out of the second half, he started switching everything more. Like, we just switched everything more. He played Frank a bunch because Frank could switch more. And we nearly came back and won the game. We played them, I think, I don't even know, maybe a month or a few weeks later. Nope, same thing. We're playing drop. We played the next this year, drop. Every He does not learn. He does not apply the lessons he's learned. He does not carry them over game to game. Because if he did carry them over game to game, Guess what? Obi Toppin would have played a lot more minutes. Quickly would have played a lot more. He would have at least started. Maybe not even played more minutes. He would have definitely fucking started this year. We would have seen a lot more shit happen this year if he actually learned. But he doesn't. He has his conception of how the world operates and everybody and everything needs... Like, how are you a coach and you're bitching about the talent level of your team and you're vehemently opposed to trading Kevin Knox and a first-round pick for Cam Reddish? Because why? Oh, because this this ridiculous binary that he's created in his mind that it has to be Grimes or Reddish. It's a fucking joke. He's an idiot. And the people that want to bury their fucking head in the sands and act like, you know, we can't fire this guy or he's so amazing and want to make 15,000 fucking excuses for the bullshit we saw this year. You know, I don't even know. They're not even fans. They're just fucking morons. Yeah. Um, I I do think... We'll see. We'll see if he's changed at all. Um, I think there were some impressive things he did. Um, Do you think you can change him? Who knows? <laughs> um, I didn't pick the Tibbs life. The Tibbs life picked me. Um, I will say this, kind of tying it back to one thing that's encouraging. I am curious to see what he would look like within the offensive big man. Um, what he did with Joakim Noah in Chicago is some of the most creative coaching he's done. Um, obviously had a talented big man in, in Minnesota and in Cat. Um, I think that how they have used 
OB in CHOs is pretty encouraging. And I think that if they were to, to get Jalen Duran, I'd be curious to see if they used him like that as well. Uh, and that could be another point uh, in that favor. It's But it's funny. You bring up Noah. When and Duran he... is also a really good screener, by the way. Yeah. I should mention that he's much better than, um, than Mitch at that. So. Um, it's funny, though, you bring that up about Noah. When did he do that with Joker Noah? When Rose got hurt. Exactly. Like, he is a creative coach, but only when circumstances force him to be creative. Otherwise, he just wants to stick to whatever he... And, like, that's probably the most frustrating thing about him. Because we've seen that the Knicks are shorthanded. He is creative. He is capable of, like, getting the team to play in a different fashion, right? Small. Pushing the pace. All these kind of things. But he has to be forced into it. And it's like, that is the single most frustrating part about it, is... He, it's like he doesn't even realize what he's good at half the time because who knows why, man. I just, he's a frustrating, frustrating coach who, I mean, he, he frustrated the hell out of me this year. Uh, all right. I'm just last thing before we get out of here. I want to talk about this very quickly. Maybe not that quickly, but I definitely want to talk about it. In the, in, in the interview, uh, Berman also mentioned that he said, quote unquote, you know, Jaden Ivey is the apple of the Knicks' eyes. I think, would you, is it fair to say that you think the Knicks are still, don't have a star? Even if you think quickly and RJ and Obi or whatever you think about, but if, even if you think they can become a star, they don't currently have a star. That's fair to say? Yeah, of course. Okay. Do you think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's safe to say trading up in the draft is still cheaper than trading for an already developed in prime in the NBA star. Is that also correct? Yeah. Okay. Where is Ivy on your board? And do you think, you know, we've talked a lot about like what percentile outcomes, what percentile outcome for Jade and Ivy for you is a, is a star? Um, how are we defining star? Perennial, like a guy that year in year out pretty much makes all star teams. And so, like the worst version of that player would be Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, so like a guy like that, like Jalen Brown, Donovan. I think Donovan Mitchell is actually clear of Jalen Brown, but let's say yeah, so some caliber of player like that, where year in year out they're making all star teams. I think at the very worst they are in the mix for third team all NBA. So if Donovan Mitchell, um is the floor. Um, what percentile outcome is that? For, I think I would say 85. Okay. It's not crazy because, I mean, his ability, he, he has that true 90, like he does not need a screen to blow by people. He can finish. Um, I'm underwhelmed by his defense, but hey, that hasn't been a feather in Donovan Mitchell's cap. Uh, I don't think he's the shooter Donovan Mitchell is and he's got... Uh, ways to go there but he you know he showed the ability to pull up i think the release needs to to be higher um but i would say 85 to 90 90th percentile yeah okay just real quick going back to the defense thing do you think it's an effort thing with ivy or do you think he just like he falls asleep sometimes like what is it yeah it's it's not effort um I think um, he was asked to do a lot at Purdue. Uh, Painter, in general, hasn't really done a great job of coaching Purdue's defense for a while. Um, great offensive coach, but um, you know, I think you know 
Ivy would Ivy. The biggest problem I see with Ivy is a tendency to gamble, um, and that is actually not a bad thing. And if you look, like he is a high motor guy, he wants to make plays, and he has that quote unquote that dog in him. So uh, that's something that it's easier to rein that in than it is to like light a fire under someone. I don't think that's the issue. I think that he needs to his judgment needs to improve on defense a little bit. Um, probably needs to improve his awareness off ball like most young players do. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, unless he, like, goes to a team that just indulges offense-only thinking or something, I-, I think, like, he has the potential to be solid, at least on defense. All right. So I want you to tell me if you would make this trade, right? Let's – this is for Jaden Ivey, assuming Jaden Ivey is there. Knicks trade 11. They trade. It doesn't even matter to which team, but just say this was the package. Would you do it? 11, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, and the 2023 first, the Knicks' own 2023 first, top two protected. Um, I would do that if I could get fewer protections on that or more but if it was top eight protected top five protected i'd be a little like top two protected is because they might not make the playoffs and there is a chance at that point of getting um one of the thompson twins or something like that so i'd probably want a little bit stronger protections on it um so at that point i'd probably say no but in terms of grimes reddish and this year's pick um, I'd also. I mean, wonder, this year's pick is is effectively like a pick swap anyway, right? So it's not like you're losing a first in right. that sense. I would I would push to make that instead the Dallas pick next year, and then our pick in twenty twenty four, and then if you want to make that top two or top four protected, fine. That would I would modify the trade that way. Okay, now what if does it would it matter to you if the team? Was like, well, we really want Burks or Fournier or any of these veterans. No. Would you? So, like, none of them matter to you in that sense. No. Okay. Yeah. No, I okay. mean, I Grimes is the most hurtful thing we're losing. Well, the pick next year and Grimes would be the most hurtful things we'd be losing. And I, I if we did make that trade for Ivy, uh, he's probably like, we, you know, we. I don't know that the team is going to make that's going to put the team over the hump in the playoffs next year. So, I'd want that twenty twenty three pick of ours. But um, you know, if we could do it with Dallas and then a protected pick in twenty twenty four, I think that makes more sense to me. If the Knicks made that trade, would you be upset though? No. Yeah, like uh, I think if they believe oh, you mean Jay- the top two protected? Yeah, yeah. Like let's say they 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 I make the trade. No, and I believe in their development, and Ivy is really good. Um, but I I would make me nervous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think anytime you trade a future first, I mean, we're Knicks fans, we know this. Anytime you trade a future first, it is like, you know, it's a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if they if they believe Ivy is an all star, uh, I think they have to like. My, my, I think they just should go get Ivy. Um, he is a player that I think he knits. Uh, the various pieces of this team together very well. His skill set as a just, he's a guy you can't keep out of the paint, right? Like he, 
his handle is not, it, it needs to improve. He has to learn how to drive left. He has to develop a mid-range game, all this kind of shit. But just the ability to get into the paint consistently is exactly what this team, and, and, and to do it with speed, right? To do it in a fashion that requires a defense to pay attention and have to rotate at speed, I think is like very much the thing that this team lacks. I think it's a reason why Derrick Rose had such a positive impact on the team. Uh, when he played, and I, I just think that's that's exactly what they need. Uh, and I also I, I feel like his size is really awesome. Like it's it's a big reason why I think he's such an interesting player for us, very specifically in a way. Like because you can see how him and IQ and RJ together, like that would be so, and Obi, like they would be so much fun. In transition that would be just ridiculous. Yeah. Obi and Ivy. Yeah. And and like, yeah, I think there's always the risk of what next year's pick becomes and what do you give up and blah, 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 for for sure. I don't you know, they might not make the playoffs this upcoming season if they make that trade. I, I don't think I don't think you make that trade because you think you're gonna make the playoffs this upcoming season. I think you make that you have to make that trade purely on your belief, if you believe it, that Jaden Ivy is going to be an all-star. He's an all-star caliber player. And the reason why I think they should be willing to pay that price is if you ultimately, at some point, you're going to have to acquire a star. If you, like we talked about, if you trade for a star who's like, so let's just use Donovan Mitchell because he's the one that, you know, we've obviously been connected to a bunch. Trading for Donovan Mitchell is going to run you way more than that. It's going to run you more than a fucking pick swap, one lightly protected first in the future, uh, Cam Reddish and Quentin Grimes, you know, and I don't even know if that would be enough to move up for uh, whatever pick Jaden Ivy you need to get to for Jaden Ivy. I think it's possible, but like that package is not getting anywhere in the ballpark for Donovan Mitchell or Shane Gilgis Alexander or pick whatever star you want. So to me, if you believe he's an all star, then you, if you believe in your player be development, also, right? Yeah, so. I think you absolutely should be willing to do that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm on the record with this. I I I hope they do pull the trigger on a trade like that. I think it's they need here, to make some... Here is the other thing I would push back on, uh, which is, in fairness, a problematic aspect of the Donovan Mitchell trade as well. We've talked about how um, you know sub sub six five guards. It can be tough for them to have the impact. You know to be, like, the best player on a contender, right? Um, Steph is really the only one right now in the NBA that qualifies. Um, I'm not even sure I would have said Dame ever qualified at any point. Um, Peak Westbrook maybe had a case for that. But it's just very tough. Um, the people that are, are do end up being in the mold of, you know, close to 6'5", strong, and just ridiculous athlete. Um Here's a question. Would you put Ivy's athleticism up there with Pete Westbrook or Pete Rose? Uh, or is it a notch below that, more maybe like um, Ja or something like that? I think the power, speed, vertical. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I think it's reasonable to put him in that class. Maybe not as, like maybe not at the same level, but I think he's in that class of athlete, yeah. Right, so they have been that, but the question would be, if we're going to make that trade, 
Um, oh, so where I have him on the board is fourth. Um, I think Paolo is the no-brainer number one at this point. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, Chet is a very, I think also Chet is very solid at two. And Jabari um, is very young and excellent shot maker. I'm not sure if he ends up being much more than Rashard Lewis with better defense, which is still a really good player. And he has a really, that's not a high percentile outcome, so I think he has a really good chance of hitting that. I just am not sure the ceiling is as intriguing as those two. But Ivy, I would rather, I would rather, like, if you, if you told me we could make that trade for Paolo, that makes more sense to me, even though Paolo is the worst defender, because it's just the track record of getting a guy like that at 6'10 or 6'7 is just, um, that's been a better bet if you're making your push your chips into the middle thing, because, um, you know, that's, that's the only concern with making that move for Ivy in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Um, man, I would love Ivy on this team. With yeah, he would he would light up the garden, and ultimately, I I agree with you. But um, you would have, and I think the, the Knicks would also have to talk themselves. I, I want him to be an impact defender at that point. I think he. I think it's like so. This is funny because I just like berated Tibbs, but like the thing he is good at with development. One of the things he's very good at with development is these guys get better on defense under his like uh... under him. I think I think Obi's gotten better on defense. I think Sims Sims got way better on defense. I think quickly is where better. I push back. Quickly is where I push back because you don't think he's. I, I think he was I'm always good. Be, that's not what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying is quickly came quickly was an elite SEC defender. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he Maxi got more headlines, and Maxi was like a little bit more of an events generator. But you look at a lot of the advanced stats. You look at the matchups Calipari trusted quickly with. Uh, out of the draft, that was probably my favorite part of his game. Um, to be honest, was it was also that's also why it was weird when like the narrative about him became like he's just a scorer off the bench and like defense is not. Yeah, and a thing. he was he was bad to start his rookie season. Most rookies are bad at defense, um, it, but he started to figure it out towards the end of last season. I personally thought um, while there were things Elf did better on defense, especially against a guy like Trey Young, I would have liked to see. Uh, quickly get more of a chance. I don't think the results were great for him against Trey Young, but I think there are a lot of factors into it. Uh, I think he did better this year when he was tasked with those kind of matchups. Reps, uh, reps but I don't against a guy like Trey Young too. Just getting more reps against a guy like him and understanding what he wants to do yeah, is a big exactly. part of being able to defend it. Yes, but I, I think to, my point is more that I think a lot of that is just quickly on his own kind of improving as a defender. Um, because I think he's always had that aptitude. He just had to get adjusted to the speed of the game. RJ improved for a year, and then last year I was not particularly impressed with his defense. Grimes came in as so maybe I think better way to put it probably is Biggs. He's great at developing as defenders, but um, I, I mean Chicago Derrick Rose never turned into that good of a defender. Butler came in as Jimmy Butler pretty much. Um, I don't remember if Lil Nick was a good defender out of college. I don't remember. I'm like honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. But he's never had a guy like Lulding, so that's another reason why I'd like a wing. But sure, I'm willing to buy into that. And I don't know that he's some whisper. Uh, I think ultimately, I think they will would be willing to pull the trigger on the trade again after you know, interviewing with Ivy and seeing if he is that 99th percentile work ethic guy. Um, so He also has a name. Like You can't not be a star if your name is Jane and Ivy. So... Another reason. There was to, Royal Ivy. He wasn't a star. That's a, it's a Royale with cheese. 
Uh, cool, cool Ivy, though. He's, he's a star. So. <laughs> all right. I think that's a good place to end it. Um, all right. Uh, Stacy, that was fun. Uh, let's people know where they can find you and plug anything you look for. Yeah, I'll plug. Uh, so, Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Uh, I've been on a couple of pods recently. Uh, I did the New York State of Mind pod with um, Chip Murphy and Danny Small. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Chip's been on Pod Strickland before. Uh, really intelligent guy. Really has a very unique perspective on the draft that I appreciate. Uh, I also was on draft class with Chris Persianen. Um, that's just a fun series. And then the other thing I'll plug is Draft Strickland and the Strickland's draft coverage. Uh, I think Prez has a pretty interesting solo pod coming up on um, on shooting mechanics. And um, if you follow Prez or if you uh, listen to that, you know that uh, his attention to detail and ability to just go microscopic deep on a lot of these topics is really impressive. And I always end up learning a lot listening to him. So I'll plug that. Cool. Uh, I have nothing to plug. Uh, I guess, you know, I'll plug, I'll plug that, uh, Berman interview since that guided half of this pod discussion. Uh, I'll Berman's interview with, again, it's a draft class on Nick's film school with Chris Percy Ian. Definitely worth your time listening to that. Uh, I'm going to plug all the great work over here at the Strickland, uh, profiles, podcasts, everything. Uh, so definitely check all that out. Uh, I have nothing else to plug myself, so hope everybody has a great weekend, and I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.